What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nine Circles audio thing. We are here for our annual end-of-year non-metal best-of list. I am your host for today, Dan Kaplan. With me, as always, for this event at least, is my good friend Chris Voss. Chris, how are you, my man? I am good, as always. Love joining you for our, I think this is maybe our third. It's three or end four of in year, a row, I can't remember. Non-metal podcast. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So for everyone that comes to Nine Circles for the metal, you can once again <laughs> per year probably skip this lengthy episode. But for those of you that like everything, uh, there's a ton of great records this year. Uh, surprising as I was looking through our lists, uh, both yours and mine, and then everything that I cut out, um, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, pandemic related or otherwise, but just a lot of a lot of great music. Once again, I mean, so much to talk about that. It was hard to really kind of narrow down the choices somewhat this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, you know, we, we still do have every now and again on the site, we still have the rainbows in the dark column. Um, Ian, I know, does a, a really good job with those. But um, I feel like they are all or not all, but in a lot of cases of a particular vein, kind of kind of folky, kind of acoustic, which is which is all good stuff. And he picks some some awesome choices. But I like the um, the diversity of stuff that we have on our list. And it, yeah. it feels like we're casting a bit of a wider net with these with these every year. So I, I, I think a much wider net. And, and that's something that we'll probably get into, particularly with a couple of choices. Um of yours, especially, um, you know, it, one of the things that was hard doing the list this year, not only this list, but the metal kind of end of year list that we normally do is what's that dividing line between something being classified for the metal list and for the non-metal list. Right. Um, especially when we think of what's typically done for rainbows of, of the dark. And again, hats off to Ian for doing a great job, but typically there's a theme there. It's 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 neo folk. It's folk. It's it, it's kind of synthy sometimes, but it's all dark and heavy in a way that I would still classify it as kind of metal adjacent, mm-hmm. as opposed to being like we're going to talk about one of your albums um, that is pretty much straight a folk album that I don't think would ever make the cut for Rainbows in the Dark mm-hmm. because it doesn't have that sense of that elusive sense of heaviness or darkness that typically gets associated with those posts. And then likewise, there were a couple of big bands this year that totally went in a completely different direction from their heavier histories that I still put in the metal end of year list. And then one, which is a killer hard rock record that we'll talk about, um, I needed to put on this list because for some reason, the thing that for me personally kind of demarcates heavy versus not heavy or metal versus non-metal in this one instance, this one album fit in the non-metal for me this year. So it's, right. it's it, if, if anything, it's becoming a, a gauzier, a much more kind of ethereal demarcation point between the two. And I like love actually every year you and I can come and cast a net that is ridiculously wide yeah. in some cases, yeah. um, as we'll probably see today. I know I know. when we did this last year, we had our theme of um, kind of leaning into comfort food with the, um, the uh, just hellscape that was 2020. Um, I feel like 2021 might have been marginally improved maybe i don't know um from a from a goings on in the world uh type perspective but um i'm I'm curious before we jump into our into our picks uh your your listening habits this year do you find did you find you were um taking in about the same amount of new music were you um leaning more into the comfort food were you leaning more into the new music how did how did your your habits 
um, change, if at all, this year? Yeah, you know, I think I leaned more into, let's put it this way, new music to me. Okay. But that new music to me was maybe not necessarily new music. So kind of diving into genres that I had previously explored, kind of shallowy, you know, dipping the toe in. Uh, for example, I, I love prog rock. I, I love 70s prog rock. You'll see some 70s-ish prog rock represented on my list this year, um, both it here and... Uh, um, the metal one, but it was always like, well, everyone knows. Yes, everyone knows Jethro. Everyone knows those big hits. So diving deeper and really finding the nooks and crannies of obscure kind of Canterbury prog rock or um, weird uh, Dutch prog rock from the mid seventies, a band called Finch, like th- things like that, that I was kind of diving in, in toward uh, when it came to newer music. It was typically, and my list will kind of bear this out, it was new music from newer acts that I had previously kind of been turned on to. Um, looking through now, there's really one, uh, there's there's maybe two people here that are brand new to me this year where I was like, oh, this is something that's really exciting. So I would say de- definitely was still going for the comfort food. Uh, 2021, to your point, in some ways, definitely better than the dumpster fire that was 2020. But just when you think you turn a corner, whether it's on um, equality or uh, pandemics, something else happens to just kind of, you know, shatter whatever hopes and dreams I may have had. So I'm still tucked away in my corner with a hefty supply of uh, masks and um donation envelopes to help the causes that yeah. I believe in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to just sit here with my comfort food in the meantime. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say, it might have been better than 2020, but that's a really fucking low bar to clear. That's a low <laughs> bar to clear, right? So, yeah. Um, I, for for me, it was it was interesting as well. Like, I, 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 in terms of my overall listening, um, there was some stuff that like did not surprise me at all. Like, you know, REM was one of my top five artists on Spotify for the right. like probably <laughs> fifth or sixth year in a row. Um, you talk about look, listening to old stuff. I had a lot of a lot of um, the stuff that will appear on our in our conversation today was in my like top one hundred songs, but also so too was. Uh, the Cult's Nirvana, uh, which is the first song on the Love album, which is like 36, 37 years old. So like, right. yeah, you know, I, I was um, there. There are, I, <laughs> I was mixing it up and there are there are two albums on this list in particular that accounted for, I think, 20 percent of my top 100 songs of the year, according to Spotify. <laughs> but um, but also there was a lot of older stuff on there, too. So it, it's it's all about finding that balance and like, you know. Kind of, kind of like we talked about, like what feels good to you in that moment. Taking that and just running with it, because you need the the way the world is now. You need the stuff that that feels good to you at any given point. So yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's funny too, because I mean, some of the newer music that I did discover this year definitely makes up a large percentage of what I listen to the most. But what I find as I go through it is that listening frequency is very concentrated to a specific time. Like I discovered the album, I played it like 20 or 30 times, fell in love with it. And then it slowly starts to drift as I start like, Oh, I really love this. I've now I've absorbed it. Oh, there's that. Like to your point, my number one artist was Frank Zappa. My number two was David Bowie this year on Spotify. (laughs) And it's like, Oh, I love this new thing. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. Oh, I haven't listened to uh, young Americans in a while. I'll go back and I'll listen to young Americans again or apostrophe or whatever album kind of cropped up. So there's always those kind of peaks and valleys. And, and I'm perfectly fine with that at at this point. The one thing that I've learned is that 
lists and favorites and stuff. It's 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 all transitory in nature. It's all kind of ethereal in that, you know, it comes and it goes. And what's important is during the time that you listen to it, and you and I discussed this, I, I, I think you nailed it perfectly. You know, the, the, the impact that it has on you at the time that you are listening to it is what counts. Yes. We can rank and file and and analyze the frequency of listens into the future. But that never tells the story of the impact that an album, uh, you know, makes on you at the moment that you discover and the moment that those songs hit you. So right. I think I'm celebrating that this year more than anything else with this list. Well, cool. Well, cool. Um, why don't we jump into it? I know we have uh, right off the bat, we have a couple of albums of overlap and then, not a ton. I mean, we, we, we obviously we've shared each other's list with each other, uh, dug, did some digging in. And I, I, as far as I can tell, we both really enjoyed what the other had to bring to the table this year. But yeah. let's um, let's start off with the the two that we have in common uh, right off the bat. One that has uh, appeared on. Well, I think it was, was it two years ago appeared on your list, your end of your list that you turned me on to that I then really enjoyed the fuck out of as well and is now on my uh, my end of your list here Madhu Mokhtar uh, who's back the the couple years ago edition was Alana the Creator this year's edition is Afrique Victime The uh, he is a Tuareg guitarist, folk guitarist, um, bluesy folk guitarist, and uh, just brings a totally new and unique frame of reference to both of those genres, and paints yet another amazing picture. I think. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> man. It I I was not expecting to be as floored the second time around because there's always that. There's always that relish of discovery, right? So um, a lot of the the creator uh, for both of us I, it was you know the first time hearing him and and his band and his unique spin on blues, rock and roll, and world music. So I, I I've heard it, I loved it. I hear he's coming out with a new album. I my expectations are high to enjoy it, but not to be like as stunned as I was the first time because that sense of discovery is now gone. I know who this person is. This is a known quantity. Um, that being said, man, uh, I, I think this is a different beast altogether. I think where the first one was kind of a showcase for all of these different styles. Um, Afrique Victime, hopefully I'm pronouncing it. I didn't pronounce it as well as you, but I'm pronouncing it as well as I, I can. I got, I, got, um, I got 12 years of French under my belt. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> it's, I think it's looser, it's freakier, and it's a little bit more kind of like – kicking off and just having some rock and roll fun, um, at least from the sound of it. Um, obviously, I don't know much about the lyrical content because it is not in my tongue nor in a tongue that I tried to translate, but I just went by the feel. and uh, Someone had reviewed it and said, this is like if Eddie Van Halen had gone in a different direction, it's like that caliber of just kind of freestyle playing it. You don't know how he's doing half of what he's doing. I watched a video watching him play. He uh, did a great interview with Dweezil Zappa 
and just show some of his technique. And it's it's akin to watching Eddie Van Halen, at least for me the first time, like, oh, I just do this and, you know, taps like a madman and uses the whammy bar to just do these crushing dive bombs and stuff with that sound. Um, Madhu Mokhtar does the same thing for me. I think this is a woollier, fuzzier, freakier, more fun version of what the first album was. And again, that's what I needed in 2021. I didn't need to get kind of too deep into that dark. I wanted something that was going to blow my brains out as I listened to it, put a smile on my face, and this did it. It's it's funny you mentioned that interview with Dweezil Zappa because I remember watching it and having at one point in their conversation the the topic came up of what kinds of new guitar players are you listening to and he mentions Eddie Van Halen and the idea that someone could be that gifted at the instrument and pull a lot of similar frames of reference from a from a technique standpoint and not know not have known Eddie Van Halen until like this year it it's just so it was it was an amazing dose of perspective for me as as a musician as a uh, consumer of music because you, you you think everyone who is into rock over here or even blues over here knows of Eddie Van Halen may not necessarily be influenced by or have the deepest appreciation for but you you know Eddie Van Halen if you are into those genres over here and for him to be coming from a completely different perspective and have that be a fresh discovery this year it's it's like wow okay i need to remember yeah. context is a thing and and everyone's perspectives are different and it was it was amazing for me and i'm i'm i'm, I'm so happy for him that he got to discover and enjoy Eddie Van Halen as a new thing, as as a as a grown man with his own amazing technique already fully formed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I co-sign I co-sign everything you say about it. I think I think the uh, Alana the Creator was was a fantastic introduction, and this was everything I needed in a second a second helping, everything I needed and more. As a matter of fact, um, I, I just I love that. Uh, I think when when we when we talked about it before. I kind of described it. It was reminded me a lot of Amadou and Mariam, uh, with mm-hmm. without the with with much more of a bluesy approach. Amadou and Mariam are uh, they're from Mali rather than uh, the Tuareg region of uh, of Niger, uh, but they they definitely have that that um, kind of regional and and uh, uh, West African influence. But they they channel it more into uh, uh, of late they have channeled it more into kind of a poppier world beat sound. Whereas Madhu Mokhtar is the it, it feels much more like the sound of his region of his people and you're either on board with it or you're not but that is what he's doing uh there there's not the kind of inherent crossover i don't get the inherent crossover vibes that i have from amadou and mariam lately and i i I feel like he's just much more entrenched in what he's doing and it's it's super super successful as a result he's fully committed to that vision and that that sound so i really enjoyed it really really enjoyed it 
So the other one we have in common, why don't you intro that one? Uh, because yeah. we, we were both very parallel. big fans. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting parallel because with the prior one, that was one that I had introduced to you. Um, you had originally introduced this person to me um, mm-hmm. and then turned out that he is both now on our list. So we are talking about Riley Walker, an American singer, songwriter, and I'm going to emphasize this for purposes of this album, guitarist, um, who is primarily known for, at, at least prior to now, um, kind of the indie folk scene and very much that singer songwriter thing. So you always kind of imply he's sitting there with an acoustic guitar doing these very pretty kind of fragile um, songs. And he's fantastic uh, at that. Things like Primrose Green, um, some of his other albums are fantastic to listen to. 2021 saw a very different Riley Walker. He actually did two albums this year. One, I, I, I need to listen to more. He did a... Um, he did a collaborative album with one of my favorite psych bands, Kikagaku Moyo, uh, called Deep Fried Grandeur. It is a two-track kind of instrumental jam between his band and that band. Hmm. Um, it's really kind of cool, a, a little bit more just kind of meditative, psych, kind of freaky, uh, chill-out music. Uh, but then, uh, kind of pulling the wool over everybody, he released Course and Fable. completely different, at least for me, type of album than he's done in the past. I'm much more familiar with uh, Primrose Green, uh, Deathman Glance, which I think is what you turned me on to a couple years back. I think that was the album where you're like, hey, Chris, you need to listen to this. Yeah. Um, this takes that foundation, still that kind of a- acoustic singer-songwriter, deep introspective lyrics, but it layers a sheen of the the only way that I can describe it is like 70s progressive rock. It starts to twist and turn in arrangements and ornamentations um, to just become this completely different thing. It's taking him and just kind of making it a little weirder, a little bit more out there, a little bit more, to my mind, musical. These are not simple kind of folk arrangements anymore. These are kind of full-scale kind of prog opuses just done with an indie kind of folk mindset. Uh, and I kind of love it for that, Dan. I, it, it, it's now my... When we ranked these, this was my number one ranking. Uh, it's probably the album. We talked a little bit about, you know, the, the transitory nature of these things and maybe something that I love right now. Who knows how long I'm going to listen to it when I fall back to old habits. But this is one that since its release, I have consistently listened to, consistently put on um, and see myself kind of putting in regular rotation for a while to come. So how you being a lot more kind of into him before... Um, I was, how does the kind of change in narrative play for you here? And, and what'd you think of it? I mean, obviously you like it. It's on both of our lists, but right, right. Yeah. I, I really, for, for me, the, um, the, the big calling card for this record is just, just further evolution of 
Riley Walker as a performer, as a singer songwriter. I, the, the, the first album that I uh, became aware of him with was, as you mentioned, Primrose Green back in, I want to say 2013, 2014. I can't remember. And that was so of a particular mold, a, a folk singer songwriter mold that I actually like, I thought he was English. It sounded very, it sounded like a very <laughs> English folk type thing. And then I find out he's like from, Chicago (laughs) blew me away. Um, Deaf man glance, as you mentioned, was very different, obviously still very good, but, but totally its own, its own different thing. And I think that course and fable is a further step into, uh, I hate to say the weird, but it's, it's, it relative to, you know, the kind of straightforwardness of Primrose Green. It is, it is a little weirder. There are jazzy parts. There are, folky parts there are progressive certainly elements to it i think the the lead track striking down your big premiere the best Mm. way i can describe it is it feels like such an adventure from a listening perspective because you have that kind of profound piano that dun 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 like those big powerful chords and then it gets like this little nimble kind of uh like it's this nimble melody line and then it's kind of a more wistful singing part with him it just it takes you so many different places and it's consistently engaging it's consistently marvelous in terms of his compositional ability i i just and 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 that's just the first song you get into stuff like lenticular slap you get into stuff like the um what's the uh the uh, pond scum ocean is the other one i really like um it's it's just it's it's a marvelous record i i we we talked about how uh, for me, at least, appearances on this list are reflective of how much I went back to the albums. And uh, Riley just consistently brought me back with this album. Uh, yeah. it, it just always felt engaging, always felt fresh. And I really just can't wait to see where he goes from here because uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's funny. I, I think you you, you kind of nailed the exploration in, in you were talking before, if you think about Deaf Man Glance as kind of one foot in the foundation of Primrose Green and the other foot kind of striking out for untethered regions, I think Course and Fable is him letting go of that other foot, right? And saying, okay, let's just now move forward and see where this, this takes us. Um, a lot of people talk about kind of like a Genesis in, in influence in a lot of the songwriting and the dense arrangements and different sections. This is not a very simple kind of intro verse, pre-chorus, chorus, right? Verse B, maybe a bridge. It, it goes into some different sections. The artist that it kind of reminded me of the most... And it's he's not on my list, and I, and for a very specific reason is uh, Sufjan Stevens. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the in instrumentation, especially as, as you were just kind of humming along um, to the opening track, uh, striking down your your big premiere. That's your humming of it immediately made me think of Sufjan Stevens, and just the way like on Illinois and on some of his more ornate al- albums, he's just a master of arranging these different sounds and these different kind of collisions of instrumentation to kind of create these delicate, beautiful things. And I think Riley Walker does that uh, in spades on th- this, this album. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned Genesis too. I, I one of the, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't have a ton of power of recall for like interviews I read with promotional interviews I read with artists, but he did 
a promo interview just around the release of this album that I think was probably 90% not about this album, but instead yes. was about his Genesis fandom. <laughs> he absolutely, like, he talks about, like, the different the different split-offs and side projects and Peter Gabriel solo and Phil Collins taking over with um, Trick of the Tail and all that yep. stuff. And then he just absolutely laid into Mike and the Mechanics. <laughs> it was just, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this interview because he's he was just such a Genesis nerd and it showed there. And I, I as, as someone who like really nerds out about the bands that I'm super into, I appreciated that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. If, if anything, it's so nice that we now live in a world where it's okay and cool to like Genesis again, because I'm, I'm a huge Genesis fan. So I'm happy that it's a, that it's an inspiration for him and a uh, source of, of pride in his uh, interviews and his uh, songwriting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are the two that we have in common. Um, why don't we just from here, we'll just start alternating uh, quick hitters, the the rest of the albums from our list. Um, I, you know, we talked about how we, we kind of have an order, but not not really. So whatever order you want to do them in, why don't you start us off with uh, with your next pick? Yeah, so um, what I'll do is instead of a pick, I, I, I want to talk about a theme that was constant throughout 2021 for me. And I typically make a rule um, when I'm creating lists and stuff that there there's certain albums and type of albums that will never appear on a list. And, and typically it's albums that are reissues, um, of which there were some fantastic reissues, but I'm, I'm not going to talk about that. But I also won't put on live albums. Uh, it's it's just kind of a basic rule of mine. I want to talk about studio albums. You can talk about live albums later. But man, live music in 2021, at least as far as what was getting released, it it was my it was my nourishment. It sustained me this mm-hmm. year. Um, the Levitation Sessions, which is a collection of uh, live records from a lot of indie rock artists, uh, we had. Um, uh, Fuzz uh, and Ty Siegel, Ty, Ty Siegel also being part of Fuzz, uh, released two fantastic levitation sessions this year. Just great, expansive, in-your-face rock. Um, Earthless, one of my favorite bands ever. Uh, they were number one on my, and again, it straddles that line of what's metal, what's not, but they were number one on my metal list a few years back with their last album. They did a killer live session this year. And then two in particular, probably the two albums that I've listened to the most in terms of live live music. Um, it's super rare when you can kind of just unearth something that hasn't been heard um, by really anyone. Um, so John Coltrane, probably one of his most well-regarded albums is A Love Supreme. Uh, just a fantastic, one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, he rarely, if ever, played it live. And until this recent release, there was really only one um live version of it out there. It was done in Paris and it was a fairly straightforward adaptation of the, of the suite, uh, by his regular recording unit. Um, but a year or so ago, they unearthed, um, a bootleg of a session that he did live in Seattle with a vastly expanded group. Uh, Pharaoh Sanders is in it playing, um, the saxophone. There's another bass player and it, um, fogging on the name, but it, it his normal four piece turned into like a seven or eight piece. Um, and they explore the hell out of a love Supreme. It's almost in parts unrecognizable. Um, and it's, and it's amazing. It's amazing to have unearthed this document after so many years. I mean, he died in 1968, uh, 65 was when a love Supreme came out. So, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of time. He was moving so fast at that point onto different sections that it made sense that it wasn't a very largely played one, but for such a monumental album 
to unearth this new version of it, this new live version of it that's so vastly different. It's one of those things where, like, I can imagine Deadheads just kind of digging into, you know, the 10th version they've heard of uh, Bertha or Truckin' or, you know, Eleven, um, Darkstar, whatever. Uh, it, it's that type of kind of excavation that I like to get into with that. And then the other, the same thing, uh, the prog rock band, uh, kraut rock band, call them whatever you want, can, um, who very notoriously didn't really release a lot of live anything. Um, same thing. There was a couple of great performances in 1975 that were unearthed, uh, some soundboard recordings, some fan recordings that were super cleaned up with 2021, uh, recording technology. So they're live in Stuttgart, 1975, uh, beautiful vinyl box set. It's, it's, it's three discs of just, can being really freaky their main uh singer had just left so they were kind of an instrumental band at this point and these aren't songs from albums these are just improvisations that they did uh over the course of this tour in 1975 so to have that and to be able to kind of put it on and just kind of close your eyes and get lost in these sounds it's uh it it it's fantastic it's it's the thing that excited me probably the most in 2021 was finding all this live music this unearthed music um and just diving into things that i had loved for years but never heard these versions of before that's awesome that's awesome. I I was unaware of either of them, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, I definitely want to check out that Coltrane one because that that you know, as as a big fan of, I love Supreme. Um, just anything oh. to do with that album is. And, and, uh, is if if on you my know list, a Love so. Supreme, and especially that you know the the just everyone knows like they can do the bass in their head, they can do the chant in their head, right? Of love supreme. And just to hear it so transposed and kind of mutated in this new version with a killer band. It's, 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 it's exquisite. I can't think of another way to describe it. Nice. Nice. And can as well. I, they, that, that's a band that I've been meaning to get into for the longest time. I, I had a cursory experience with Krautrock. Uh, back when I was studying abroad, we had a professor who was a diehard uh, Kraftwerk fan, and mm. he just he could not evangelize enough like how important they are to the development of modern pop music, electronic music, anything anything totally. that uses that anything that uses that that synthesized uh, kind of palette. And I have been a fan of them ever since, and I've been meaning to get into Can and you know some of the other ones. Um, uh, da, 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 da. what's the other one? Noi, Noi, I think. Noi, oh, yeah, man. yeah. But, um, but yeah, so never good. actually, never actually jumped in. And maybe that, maybe that's a resolution for, for 2022 for me. Make so. it happen for next year. Yeah. Yeah. I should, I should. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, for, for me, it was weird. I know, I know, I think, I think the bulk of our conversation last year was me, uh, arranging albums into themes because I just, I, I, <laughs> I, I guess I listened to enough to to do that this year. I I, I really found I listened to a lot less in terms of new mm. music. Um, so I, I will just gonna jump into uh, one of my picks because I don't have enough to to arrange into themes. But uh, I want to talk about Tyler the Creator, who uh, okay. put out a new album. Call me if you get lost. Shout out to my mother and my father, they can pull out. MSG sell out. Fuck these niggas, yap out. 
clips on which my ancestors got their backs off. Two, four, five hundred stacks for the hood. Call me Lumberjack, cause I wish a nigga would race. You wouldn't like I, this the wish a nigga could face. They ain't getting paper like they should. And we had talked briefly with Buke when I was talking, when I was, we were talking about our hip hop uh desert island when i you know i went into my yep. excursion with with uh tribe called quest and he brought up wu-tang clan uh tyler the creator originated in something that i think is very much kind of a kind of the the, the closest thing you can get to a modern day wu-tang clan he originated in odd future or odd future wolfgang killed them all as they're uh, they're formally <laughs> known back which it's crazy to think about back like 10 or 11 years ago um i feel old <laughs> I feel old thinking that Odd Future is that old, but um, it was it was a collective. It was him. It was Haji Beats. It was Earl Sweatshirt. It was Frank the Ocean, internet. Right? Hmm? Frank, Frank Ocean. Ocean I think Frank was Ocean that. was part yeah. of it. Vince Staples, I think, was adjacent. I don't think he was like officially a an Odd Future member, but you know all these different all these different LA based producers, rappers, and. They blew up in the same way that Wu-Tang blew up. And then they all went off and they did their solo albums and they did their collaborative projects and stuff like that. But Tyler was kind of of the group. He was arguably the 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 RZA of of Odd Future. He was the the ringleader, the the creator, as it were. And um early on in his career, he was making solo projects in the same mold of Odd Future. Just very jarring raunchy kind of unsettling songs he he had he had i think his first song his first like big song he talked about stabbing bruno mars in his esophagus and something like like it was it was messed up and i was really into it at the time but then like as i grew up i kind of like kind of moved on and i hadn't really listened to any of his stuff and he's he's had a number of critically acclaimed albums since then, but I hadn't really listened to it. But then this one, you look at the cover and it kind of reminds you of the, just the design of the cover. It kind of reminds you of the first, the the cover of old dirty bastards, first solo album, uh, return to the 36 chambers. Uh, it's just a picture of like him with a, with a license and everything, a driver's license, everything like that. And very, very reminiscent. And, uh, I, I jumped into it, and this too had gotten a good bit of acclaim. And it, it's it's really, really an intriguing listen. It, it's definitely got the kind of underlying grime at times that you would expect from Odd Future from Tyler, but it's a much more uh, mature and much more uh, just advanced production than um, the last stuff. And it, it, probably not as big of a leap as as I said. I hadn't really been following him. Um, closely since that initial run with odd future but it's it's probably it may not be as big a jump as it feels like for me but um as someone who had been a fan gone away for a while and come back i was really really taken with it really really impressed by it so um that i think would be my number 10 i got i got a lot of a lot of mileage out of tyler the creator and call me if you get lost yeah, you know, it's interesting. You said you made that the joke of I was really into that early stuff, but then I kind of grew up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I I think the same could I don't know if you could say the same thing about Tyler, the creator, the thing that had always kind of made me 
take notice of him. Uh, he it, it it is that really grimy lo-fi just kind of weird production. He's got such a unique kind of delivery and cadence. His voice is very distinctive. Um, His voice kind of reminds me of like, it's kind of the equivalent of like if Tom Waits started rapping. Yeah. What if Tom Waits was a rapper? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something, there is something kind of alarming and threatening about his delivery, regardless of what his content is. Um, but yeah, over the last couple of albums, and he's not anyone that I kind of, you know, dive into and listen to regularly. Um, I kind of travel in different hip hop streams, I guess, but sure. I've noticed uh, a, a development and a complexity with each successive album. So it's almost kind of like, at least from what I hear sonically, he's growing up a little bit too. And now using that kind of caterwauling rasp delivery of his to do some different things instead of just talking about stabbing Bruno Mars and the esophics, which may still be happening on some of these songs. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how deep his Bruno Mars hate may go, but um, there are only a handful, at least to my ears, rap and hip hop, I, I think is dangerously getting close to the glut that like kind of hard rock and glam rock did in the late eighties, where there's a thousand and one different bands all sounding the same, all trying to push the same envelopes. Kind of that, um, kind so of that like harder. SoundCloud aesthetic, that like yeah, emo it's rap aesthetic. And yeah. How, how many SoundCloud mixtapes is you know? What am I going to be able to listen to to differentiate between each person? Tyler the Creator consistently is a voice that is immediately recognizable. His music is immediately recognizable as being a cut different from someone else. Uh, And I, I mean, just for that, I found this album to be really interesting when I was kind of digging through it over the last week or so. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a fan. So how about you? What's up next? What's up next? Uh, Let's take a look. So the one that I mentioned with the live stuff, it really wasn't kind of a number 10 spot. It was just kind of a, hey, I don't put these on my list, but I want to call it out. So let's talk about number 10, uh, if there was one. Um, I have very much this year and last year gravitated toward warmer, more nostalgic sounds. But every once in a while, I do like to kind of um, startle myself a little bit. And and the one that kind of startled me the most was one of the more recent bands that I got into, and that's Low, uh, with their latest album, Hey What. So Lowe has always been kind of one of the progenitors of, I guess you want to call it like the slow core movement. Uh, But what, at least for me, kind of differentiated them from bands like the equally excellent, uh, like Bedhead is one of my favorite ones for that, that genre, is their increasingly experimental nature with noise and how noise kind of folds into what they're trying to kind of weave sonically. Um, uh, their last album, uh, Double Negative, was one of my favorite albums of the year when that came out. Uh, since then, they have narrowed down to a duo. Um, so, you know, 
it was interesting to see what they were going to come up with now that it was just the the two primary players kind of creating on their own. And hey, what? Um, it's a challenging album, even for me. It's part of the reason why I wanted to keep it on this list as opposed to something that was easier to kind of get into. Um, I know you were talking to me about it earlier, too. You're like, I tried it and I get it, but it's not like your cup of tea. I'm not going to say it's my cup of tea either, but there's something about the way that they use noise. I'm not a huge noise person, which is funny because I'm friends with a lot of people that just predominantly play in noise bands. Um, right. It's not my cup of tea, but the way that they use it here um, and the way that they use dynamics on Hey What to, um, to never kind of startle you with clashes or, or clangs, but to just, um, just put you in a, meditative kind of state to hear the stories that they're telling. Uh, I find it endlessly fascinating. It's not an album I've been able to get to the bottom to yet. And the fact that I keep playing it to try to get to the bottom of it just tells me what it's worth is for me. I think there are a few bands that can use the um, soundstage uh, of a of a production like Loken, um, they have albums that are so hard panned um, that it's it's almost alarming. But when but but they're always doing it to a, a effect. And this is one of those albums where put it on a really good pair of headphones and just listen to the sparseness and the separation of each instrument of each sound and kind of where it hits and how those clashes and those, those staticky pieces together kind of form this tapestry of, of almost like a blanket, uh, that for me just really, really is intriguing. Um, so it's probably my, the reason it's, it's at 10, because I can't say that I love it, but I can't stop listening to it. Hmm. And it's it's a rare album that does that to me. If I don't get an album, I, there's it's the same with like books. There are too many things out in the universe. Let me go to something that more immediately attracts me. The fact that this one doesn't, but I can't stop trying to listen to it, um, is what warrants it on my list. Well, I think I, I, think I said that exact thing about... <laughs> One of our common albums last year, Fiona Apple and Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Like, yeah. I couldn't, I didn't know as much as I listened to it. I couldn't tell you if I liked it or not, but I also couldn't stop listening to it because it was just so of, it is so in its own element and, and it, it just so confident in what it wanted to do. And I, I just, I kept wanting to try and peel back the layers and figure it out and, and learn, learn more about it. And yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I will have the same effect if, if this low album will have the same effect on me, but I <laughs> like you, like you said, like we had texted about, I, I can definitely see why fans of that band would be intrigued by it. Why fans of that style would be intrigued by it. I it just, it hasn't resonated with me yeah. as much. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's a good pick and, and it's nice to hear that, that it, it's, it's having that effect on you, that it, it's, it's compelling you to, you know, try and try and dig deeper and, and figure it out. That that's a powerful thing for an album to do. So let's switch gears then and talk about something that uh, did impact you and affect you. Then Dan, what's next on your list? Um, next on my list. And I realized I said number 10 before, and I, you know, I don't, I don't really know that these are should be numbered, but whatever. Um, the next one on my list, if, if we're going <laughs> how I numbered them kind of haphazardly, <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to talk about Yasmeen Williams, uh, who is a yes, we do. 
uh, I believe based in the DC area, she is a uh, an acoustic guitarist, an acoustic folk guitarist uh, with a, a kind of incredible kind of finger percussive finger style uh, instrumental player. Uh, she put out a new album earlier in the year called Urban Driftwood that I was just enamored with. Very, it's it's folky, but like you said, it's not the kind of thing that would have appeared on our Rainbows in the Dark. It's very, it's folky, but it, it it's almost a joyous folk sound, and it's very it, it's rhythmic, not just with how she plucks the strings, but also you know she uses the body of the guitar to generate uh, generate sound and generate rhythm, and I I've just completely blown away by her technique and her. Uh, our, our arrangement and her, her compositions here are just they're just fascinating to me um, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of it this year and um, went back I was so I was so taken with it I went back and I bought um, both of the previous albums she had on uh, on Bandcamp as well um, so she had a, a big impact on me with with this new album Urban Driftwood and uh, I, I really I can't recommend that enough so um, that would be my next pick yeah, you uh, you really can't recommend it enough because we're, we're there are two albums on your list uh, this year that were new discoveries for me that I know I'm going to be listening to a lot in the coming year. And uh, Yasmin Williams is one of them. Uh, holy cow. It, it is. Yeah. And, and right to your point, this is when I think of folk music, this is what I think about when I think about folk music um, and not so much kind of what we typically um, I, I don't want to sound like we're disparaging what we typically represent on our respective website uh but that's not that's not the folk music that i am drawn to um it's interesting once i turned this on um uh it was this morning actually uh i must have played that record like three times uh over the course of the stuff that i was doing today she um I'd read a, a, a brief, I, th- I think this was in a review, that uh, a lot of her influence is uh, hip-hop and R&B based, and she tries to instill that in the percussive nature of how she writes her songs and how she plays her instrument, which if I understand correctly, she doesn't hold it like a regular guitar. I think from what I, I heard, she like sits it down almost uh, like piano style, and she yep. plays like that, kind of like um, Jeff Healy. If you've ever seen Jeff Healy, the blind blues player, he would sit yep. it on his lap and kind of play. Um, I heard she does something similar. Um, um, without the benefit of a vocal melody to drive you through the narrative of a song, she is left to her songwriting prowess and her arrangement of how she performs on the guitar. And the fact that you don't miss the voice at all, it, it just screams to the talent she has, not just as a performer, but as a writer. Uh, I was... 
like I said, there's one other we'll talk about from your list that like utterly captivated me to the point where like I called my wife. I said, when you get home, we're going to play this record because this is mind blowing. Uh, but this is the other one where, yeah, I am probably going to be buying all of this uh, in the uh, next couple of days and just drowning my, myself in it. It's a gorgeous album. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, you you talking about the lack of vocals. I think that is is it's so it's it's addressed so well by just the amount of layers that there yeah. are too you know there's the there's the 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 first song sun showers i think there there's that um kind of kind of plucked chords but then also kind of a a nimbler kind of like melody line underneath like a on the on the lower strings and it just feels so deep uh, every song feels so deep that that you don't like you to to your point you don't miss them at all. Uh, the, the you don't miss the vocals at all. Rather, uh, it's the kind of album that I feel like I used. I, I my my instinct was I, I was using it while I was up in my Lego room building Legos and you know having something on in the background, but then I ended up not being able to pay attention to the Legos because I wanted to pay more attention to the music. It's just so, it's so engaging. Uh, and, and that speaks to her, her talent as, as a performer. It's just incredible. Uh, the previous album unwind, if you're looking to, to go deeper, uh, unwind is very good as well. So highly, highly recommend Yasmeen Williams, urban driftwood would be my next pick. Very, very good. So, yeah. How about you? Let's change gears entirely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, go from sparse guitar instrumentation and folk. Let's just go to full on glory prog music. Um, this is my, my cheat selection because I have two bands and two albums here, uh, but they feature the same two people in the primary uh, role of uh, singer, songwriter, main instrumentalist and uh, drummer in, in this case. Over in my um, nine circles, I I will give a brief um, I will give a brief kind of cheat into my end of year list. Uh, I am going to be having the new Dream Theater album on my end of year list, and I put it on the metal list because it is very heavy and metally, and it's just kind of triumphant and epic. Um, Dream Theater, of course, no longer uh, has uh, Mike Portnoy. Mike, poor Mike Portnoy left, uh, and he's gone on to do 8,000 other things. Um, one of the things that he has done is aligned himself with Neil Morse. Neil Morse was the primary um, singer, songwriter, and he was the keyboard player for Spock's Beard, if you're familiar with Spock's Beard, big prog rock band. Uh, still continuing to this day with, with different players, uh, but uh, back in the early days, he was the driving force. Um, so he's aligned himself really closely with Neil Morse. Neil Morse put out uh, two things this year. Uh, he has a a band called the Neil Morse Band, uh, which put out Innocence and Danger, uh, of which uh, Mike Portnoy uh, helps write. He plays drums and he sings lead vocals on some of it. Uh, not the greatest lead vocalist, especially when you hear how beautiful Neil Morse's voice is, but he he acquits himself ad- admirably. And it's a great prog rock album, and it's the type of prog rock that kind of has been in in the eye for the last 20 years. It's not super heavy. Um, it, it, it has a bevy of different styles. It's got the hard driving rocker numbers. It's got the kind of more keyboardy acoustic numbers. It's got kind of Broadway show tune numbers as, you know, different personas come into the, um, into the songs and, 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 and voices kind 
kind of merge. I think he uses at least three different singers. Um, uh, he's the primary lead singer, but he uses some some different singers, in, including Portnoy. Um, and it's just a a fun record. It's probably the record I've listened to most since it's come out um, because it's just so singable. It's just so joyous. It's just so fun. Um, on the other side of the coin, this is where it gets real interesting. Uh, Mike Portnoy and Neil Morse are also in a band called Transatlantic, mm-hmm. uh, which is a super um, – they're a super group. They also have uh, people from uh, the Flower Kings, which is another huge prog band. And they get together every couple of years and they uh, write an album. So this year they release what's called um, The Absolute Universe. And there are four different versions of the Absolute Universe. There is a abridged version, which was kind of condensed and edited and produced by Neil Morse. That's the one that I actually listened to the most. And it's a good solid 50, 60, uh, actually it's like 60, 70 minutes long, a long CD. There is the Forevermore version, which is over two hours long. <laughs> Completely okay. different. It's the same music, but it was cut, edited, and produced by, um, uh, the name is... Uh, failing me at, at the moment, but the leader of the Flower Kings, who was the guitar player for Transatlantic. Okay. There is also a Blu-ray 5.1 cut version that is a different length altogether, edited completely differently. Sometimes the songs are completely different that Mike Portnoy had a hand in. That's about an hour and a half long. <laughs> oh so and, and I think there's one more version out there as well, which takes all of those and kind of blends them together into this massive thing that probably distorts space and time uh, and also uh, invents a new color along the way. It is... So overblown. It is so dramatic. It is so varied in its content. And it's just, I, it, I, I just eat it up. I, it is the same kind of response that I think, and you and I know common people who are like this, uh, people who ride or die for power metal. There is a certain type of fan for power metal <laughs> that will eat, sleep, and dream every moment of it. I yep. totally get it. Uh, for me, it works with like silly stuff like this. It, it is admittedly borderline ridiculous that this one album can have three distinct versions, which are so different. They use different takes. They use different arrangements. Uh, and I just, I just eat it up. It, it's, it's, it's too much. It shouldn't be this much. There's no point to all of this, but it's 2021. If you've got nothing better to do, why not remix your album three times with three different lengths and put every single version out there for fans to just kind of wallow in like stuffed pigs? Uh, that's what I get <laughs> when I listen to Transatlantic. Um, it's just a cornucopia of riffs and styles and keyboards and flourishes and vocals that I love. And the Neil Morse band kind of takes all of those excesses and trims it down into just a super fun prog rock album with an emphasis on the rock. Uh, yeah. And probably no other album on my list gave me the enjoyment that these albums did. Yeah. Silly as they may be. Yeah. I did not get to the the transatlantic, unfortunately. I was We were on the way back from Gettysburg today, and I had... There was, it, it was, I was like, Jen, I was like, I bring up, I'm driving, I bring up the Spotify and Jen, I'm like, Jen, find this transatlantic slash Neil Morse thing. And she's like, well, I can't, it's not there. And I didn't realize there were two albums. I was like, <laughs> I had a lot in my time so that I would be able to get to that last album. And then it turned out it was two. So I went with Neil Morse instead and uh, enjoyed what we heard of it. But it actually, it raised an interesting conversation 
uh, that uh, that actually kind of had to make, make me think for a bit. Jen, we were getting back in, and and the, you know the album's going, and Jen's like, "What is this?" I was like, "Well, this is this is progressive rock." And she's like, "Oh, this is prog." And I was like, "Yeah." And she's, "Well, it it doesn't sound like some of the other prog that you listen to." And I hadn't really thought of it because, like, it, it's one of those things, like, for nerds like us, like, you just know prog when you hear it. Yeah. But I've never actually had to formally define it. And so I'm thinking about it and I come up with it. My, my off-the-cuff definition that I came up with there was, well, you know, I, I, I said, well, Jen, you know, like, the stuff I listen to from Rush is prog. The stuff I listen to from Porcupine Tree is prog. It's not any one thing. But I think prog is about pushing yourself musically, technically, compositionally, in whatever direction that may take. For guys like Dream Theater, it's it's just intense technical ability. It's it's profound, complex compositions, stuff like that. But for someone like Stephen Wilson, it might be pushing yourself, even if it means pushing yourself toward a more, a gradually more pop sound uh, from the, you know, the kind of just airy ethereal deep early porcupine tree stuff that he's that that transition that he's gone over the years it's challenging yourself in in one way or another and it's it's challenging yourself whatever particular aesthetic you are trying to reach challenging yourself to get there and make the most of it and i'm curious i'm curious as to you know what are your thoughts on what what makes what makes prog (laughs) I, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> because I've never, I've never thought about that before. I've never yeah. like had to define it before. But. Because you know it when you hear it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, I think you probably gave the best kind of definition of it that one possibly could. Uh, the, I recognize it by complex sword, uh, song arrangements and a certain type of technical proficiency on the instrument, which lends itself to more of a grandiose nature, maybe. Uh, because certainly Riley Walker, although maybe that's a bad example because uh, there are some prog elements there. Um, Madhu Mokhtar, mm-hmm. there's no one that is not going to say he is not incredibly technically proficient on his instrument. Uh, and that he does have some complex songwriting structures, but he's not prog. Right. Um, I, I think there is a, I, I think the one thing that may be missing from the definition, um, at least to my ears, is a grandiosity, a, 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 a largeness of scope, whether it's in the music or the concept um, that helps to define Prague. And I think by adding that level of grandiosity, that then gets you in the same ballpark for uh, classic people like Yes and King Crimson, Porcupine Tree, Dream Theater, right? Um, and uh, the Neil Morse Band, you know? You, you could make the ar- argument, well, it's also got keyboards, in there, you know? But a lot of things have keyboards, although, right. you know, extensive keyboard solary and keyboard wankery, if you will, is certainly a defining characteristic of, of, of some prog. But yeah, it's just kind of those, you know it when you hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably could not have done a better thing than not listening to Transatlantic on your trip <laughs> with Jen Gettysburg. I would not recommend that. <laughs> oh man, no. But I, I definitely, I, I definitely enjoyed what we got through of the uh, of the the Neil Morse album. So good. It's uh, just fun. That's a good. It's a good shout, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Uh, next up for me, I wanna I wanna talk about Casey Musgraves, uh, who. Her last album, Golden Hour, was on my year-end list of 20, was it 2018? 
I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And came back, obviously, one album of the year at the Grammys for that album, which was a – it was – Let's say from a different place. She was it was coming from a different place. She was happier in her marriage. She had crossed over successfully. She had gotten all this acclaim. And then over the last couple of years, things took a turn. Uh, she most notably uh, divorced her husband, her ex-husband, Rustin Kelly, and uh, has made the album Starcross that uh, it's a divorce album. It is it is the it, it's it's Starcrossed is the album name in case I didn't I can't remember if I said it or not, but it's called Starcrossed. <laughs> And um, I think my first listen through it, I remarked to uh, my my good friends uh, Kevin and Dan uh, from Syracuse. We have a we have a informal sports, but also primarily music thread. And uh, I talked about it, and I think my comment was, "Wow, shit really went south with Rustin, huh?" <laughs> and uh, because it it's she she on this album does not hold back lyrically. Um, talks about being cheated on, being you know, having him hook up with other other women, uh, her trying to be a good wife, and having that you know those those efforts be um, you know unmatched and un, un, you know just unrequited. And um, it's lyrically it it's it's a heavy hitter, but at the same time musically it's it's very different from Golden Hour. It, not not just in tone, but also. It's it's a pop record, you know. Golden Hour, you could make no bones about it being definitely a country record. You know, you could say country pop, but definitely the bigger foot in the country side of things. Uh, this, you know, you look at stuff like Cherry Blossom or Breadwinner. You know, the big songs they are pop songs, and I think it's a very good pop record. It's it's definitely, you know, it, it, it's well arranged well produced well constructed uh i i catchy as all hell at times and um you know it's 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 unfortunate that it took these you know kind of upsetting life events to generate an album like this but i think it is a very good album and um i i came to it later i think i want to say it came out in june and i didn't really get to it until like august september time frame but uh it's it's been in pretty regular rotation since then so uh i i give it a spot on my list big fan of it you know it's interesting what you said about it uh, i wanted to ask you about that uh i i have listened to it um i do like it um but i equated it a little bit like it definitely has its 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 pop sound in place um but i i still detect kind of I guess notes of country when I was listening to it, especially jumping into just talk about the, the first two tracks, um, star the opening track. If, if nothing else, even if you are not a fan of this type of music or you're not a fan of Casey Musgraves, it's one of the best sounding songs I've heard all year from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous in how this song and this album is produced. Um, 
And I can't pinpoint what Starcross sounds like. It doesn't have a definable genre to me. It's 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 heartache and 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 just it, it almost acts as just kind of an opener to everything else that happens. When we get to Good Wife, mm-hmm. the 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 second track, the thing that immediately hit me about it was it's 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 that kind of at least this is how I interpreted it, that kind of outlaw country that is making country fans really, really angry. Like yes. there is still an echo of country there, but it's taking to your point pop. It's taking all of these other different things um, and it's layering it over it. Um, the closest parallel that I can think of is one of my favorite artists now and an artist we'll probably be talking about next year because he just announced he has an album coming out in April is Paul Coffin. And uh, he uh, he's the same type of thing where he's been getting a lot of pushback now because where he was very traditional country and kind of the way of like he's almost got like a Waylon Jennings meets Johnny Cash vocal and his his fire and brimstone music kind of echoed that his last album Room Forty One you that his first track sounded like it was production by the RZA. And there's there's full blown funk and horns and rock and you know uh, Chris Stapleton another huge country guy kind of did the same thing with his last album starting over there's some Aerosmith and some good like hard rock in those things hmm. and it infuriates country fans because they just want their country to be country right. and I've got to think. I wonder if Casey Musgraves is going to have the same thing because I still hear those echoes but I hear her just saying. In a different way than maybe someone like Taylor Swift did, who had that same type of backlash, but I think went entirely to pop. Uh, you know, she may have taken more of a folk turn with her her latest records, but Casey Musgraves is doing that thing where she's like, "Here's where I was. If you want to hear that and you want to dig deep deep enough, you you can. But here's where I'm going, and I'm going to layer that on top of this. Um, and it's a it's a beautiful album. Uh, it's an album that's hard for me to listen to in some ways. Um, I think I gave it a, like two really kind of hard full listens and then there'd be some, some playing in the background because to your point, it, it is uh, kind of unashamed of how much of a breakup dissolution of a marriage album it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it is so crystal clear in its production and because it sounds so good, I'm forced to really attune to those lyrics, which are hard lyrics to hear. Uh, you know, as, as you, you hear the vulnerability and the emotion in her, in her, uh, songs, uh, and it's not emotionally or mentally where I wanted to be. So I'll admit that was a little bit of a distancing effort for me, but I, man, great pick. I, I think it's just a, I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous album front to back. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you kind of talking about the sound it occupies, it kind of made me realize, you know, when I said it's a pop album, I think it's poppier than than the previous stuff she's done. But it also, you say something like that and it's like, what even is pop? Because it has such a diversity of sounds in there. You have something like Cherry Blossom, but then something much more uh, conventional like um, Simple Times. And the if this were if this was a movie was is much more kind of ethereal and not as not as upfront. And then Breadwinner is just kind of simple and more rhythmic. And it does a lot within that category that, um, you know, I think it's not any one it's 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 kind of spreading itself out. It's not in any one mold. Uh, 
you know, so that, that, that's another reason why I appreciated it, I think. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm a big fan of it at any rate. So, yeah, yeah, you're up my friend. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to be brief on this one because, uh, it's it it's just one of those records that uh, I put on and just kind of when I'm really stressed or I got to work on something and I need focus, this just lets me drift away. Uh, and that is Floating Points uh, with special guest Pharaoh Sanders and the London Symphony Orchestra and the album Promises. So this uh, album came out really early in the year. I think it came out in March or April. Um, And I started hearing a lot about it from a bunch of kind of indie news outlets. Pitchfork was really big into it. I was like, oh, well, Pharoah Sanders. Pharoah Sanders, you mean the saxophone player Pharoah Sanders that I just talked about a little while ago because he's on the John Coltrane Live in Seattle album? Yes, that Pharoah Sanders. The Pharoah Sanders who was the main sax player for Alice Coltrane, too, on, on her solo stuff. So he got together at, I think he's... He's not 80. He's close to it. He got together with Floating Points, which is a this guy who's much more of an electronic kind of ambient artist. And they just created this kind of beautiful, jazzy, classical suite with the London Symphony Orchestra. And it's all based around kind of a, a very simple musical theme. Uh, that then just is interpolated in various ways over the course of the album. It's very sparse. Um, One of the things that I've been noticing is how my albums kind of um, drift between albums of just kind of sparse beauty and then just very dense uh, in terms of uh, instrumentation and arrangement. So Neil Morse band, Transatlantic, I I mean, it's, it's proggy, it's dense. It's, it's just kind of right there and there's stuff happening everywhere. Floating points. It's, it's very subdued. It's very laid back. It lets, whether it's Pharaoh Sanders um, on sax or floating points on keyboard, kind of take the melodies over and then just let this ambiance kind of settle beneath it. Um, it's a really beautiful record. It's it's very subdued. It's very meditative, uh, and it was my uh, when I wanted the super fun. Uh, I wa- I go to the transatlantic. When I wanted to be challenged, I went to low. When I just wanted to just kind of chill out and relax, that's when I came to uh, promises. Yeah, I we we actually we listened to this on the way down to Gettysburg uh, before we progged ourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> on the way back and uh i was i was really taken with it it's it's just understated and and very pretty and very um just intriguing and um i i love the way that it feels cohesive across the different movements um just the the subtle um 
I don't want to say regurgitation. That's not the right word, but the subtle um, recall of that that yeah. initial melody over and over and over again um, with the different, you know, you have a sax solo here and you have the string instrumentation there. It's uh, just really, really fantastic. Listen, um, definitely, definitely uh, going to be showing that on the, uh, the band camp queue uh, <laughs> going forward because I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's also one of those those, those albums. Um, it, we may have mentioned it on past episodes. I've, I've over the last couple of years, I very much have gotten into vinyl, mm-hmm. and it's one of those like it's one of those perfect. It took months. <laughs> uh, it came out in April. I think they didn't get the album out to people until like September, October. But when I got it, it's it's one of those perfect sit down, play it in those like 20 minute chunks, because sometimes music of this nature to go kind of front to back, it it can be a little fatiguing to kind of keep your attention when something is as understated as that. So this is one of those albums that really speaks to kind of why I love vinyl so much because it's, it's, it's split in half and you have that focus of, I know it's only going to be about 20, 25 minutes. Then I got to go up and then make the concerted effort to hear the other side. And it's, it sounds beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that, that it worked for you. And I'm glad it worked for you in the context of taking a drive down to a little, you know, day yeah. trip because it is so understated. It might, you know, put you in a more of a kind of somber reflective mood by the time you got out to go see the sights. Well, no, it was it was in a weird way. You know, the the route we take to get uh, the route we took to get down to Gettysburg is pretty wide open, and uh, it was it happened to be a really nice day out at the time. And you know, we're just driving, and it because the music was so I don't know if relaxed is the right word, but it it, it wasn't it wasn't it was engaging, but not terribly demanding. In its in that way, it it. Kind of allowed me to reflect, like you said, reflect on my surroundings and reflect on the, you know, the open field and the nice day and everything like that. And I appreciated it tremendously Mm. because it, it just all, it all contributed to this, just this underlying sense of, you know, kind of comfort on the road down, on the drive down. So yeah, I I was, I was a big fan of it for, for in that exact context, but also just in general. So (laughs) yeah, great pick, great pick. Really enjoyed that one. Um, next up up. on my, yeah, next up on my list, I will jump into one that we touched on briefly a couple weeks ago with Buke with our desert Island picks. Uh, the, the, uh, prompt I used for one of my desert Island picks, uh, it's the new war on drugs album. It's, um, I don't live here anymore. I, uh, I'm getting into the same territory with the war on drugs that you are in with, with, uh, dark throne on the metal side of things. Uh, <laughs> if they put out an album, it will probably be on my end of year list. Uh, I, I'm just, they're so in command of what they do and they are able to refine it without, uh, breaking, re- refine their sound without breaking it. 
Um, the you know obviously we talked about how Lost in the Dream is my pinnacle for them, but um, you know the album after that they did a deeper understanding. It got a little more out there, a little more exploratory. You know, he had some 10 or 11 minute songs. It got deep. And then this one they bring, uh, with I Don't Live Here Anymore, they bring in more of a synth uh, instrumentation at times. But at the same time, they streamline the songs. I think the longest thing here is six and a half minutes, and it's just terrific. It's it's everything I want in a war on drugs record at this point and and it's actually it's a nice rebound because i thought at times a deeper understanding could be a little too exploratory and a little too deep for my own good and this just kind of brings it back into focus uh absolutely adore it i know we're both fans of the opening track living proof but yeah um stuff like harmonia's dream the title track honestly is fantastic uh just unforgettable song um i yeah, I just I freaking love this band and I really really love this album. Even though it was a later pick in the year, I didn't have quite as much listening to it as, you know, some of these other albums by virtue of it being I think it didn't it didn't come out until almost October, I think. Something like that. Yeah, it yeah. was late. Yeah. Um but it's it's fantastic and I I can't get enough of it. So, War on Drugs, I don't live here anymore. That's my pick. Yeah, and it's a damn good pick. Uh, it came out October 29th. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's just been over a month now. Um, and I couldn't agree more in your assessment of it. Um, I, I remember us talking about it on the last podcast when we were kind of chatting back and forth. And um, no one is doing no one is doing the type of rock that Tom Petty used to do. Except for the war on trucks. Like I, I remember us talking through like, oh, this is this has got Tom Petty like like stamped all over it. Uh, no one's making that type of rock music anymore. It's, and it's a rock music that used to be so popular on the radio and it, that's kind of faded a little bit. And what the war on drugs are doing, especially on this album, um, it's just, it's great. It is permeable and admutable in that you can be you want to have some fun and just you can play this album you want to just chill out and relax you could play this album you you want to have a party with friends you could play this album you want to just sit by yourself and just kind of contemplate what the hell's going on with my life you can play this album yeah and that almost would sound like a slight from another band and that it doesn't have an identity but it has all identities. It can do everything. It, it it allows you to kind of bring yourself to its music. Living Proof is, is God, man, I love that song, Living Proof. I really do. That's um, a beautiful Harmonious song. Harmonious Dream is really good. Uh, it's it's just a... It, I wish more bands could do this, um, and I wish I and I wish this started to take command of the radio again, uh, because this is what when I think of like rock music growing up, and I was listening to stuff on the radio, and you were hearing Tom Petty and, and bands of that ilk. I, I was essentially hearing this, and it was coloring my perspective, both as a listener and then eventually as a songwriter. Um, I'm so glad it's. I I, I knew it was going to be on your list because, yeah. to your, your your point, if they put out something, you're probably going to have it on there. Um, yeah. But I'm so glad it is because it's a great record. Yeah, I think. I, and you you mentioned you mentioned it like you know wishing wishing it was on the radio. Like I I, I almost wonder. I just I feel, I feel like music to a lesser extent, but society in general is all about the 
loudest voices and the hottest takes and everything like that. And the war on drugs just doesn't do that. They just do whatever their whatever you want to call their approach. Their approach is more understated. Their approach is more restrained and thoughtful and and reflective. But they do it so well. Oh, and, they do. And it's like you know, can they can they ever break through in this this sea of like outrageous, ridiculous voices and get a radio hit? No, maybe not. But who cares? Like the people the, the people that are are out there, um, you know, going to going to appreciate them will find this stuff and will continue to be engaged by it. And that's honestly, I, I would take that. I would take that any day of the week uh, as, as, as nice as it would be for, you know, for more bands out there to be doing this kind of stuff. I'm happy if the war on drugs can continue to do it as well as oh, they absolutely. are. Yeah. <laughs> Look, since this is the reality we live in, I'll take what I can get. And I'm happy to take, this version of the band doing what they're doing in in this kind of scope it is yeah. so good yeah definitely definitely so all right my man what you got next all right so i'm gonna echo you uh just slightly that uh it has come to the point now um and <laughs> some some people i i know do not like this person but chances are if ty siegel puts out some type of project i am gonna have it on my end of year list so hey guess what ty siegel put out an album this year <laughs> he put out <laughs> harmonizer Just one? Just the one? Just one yeah. Well, all right. To be fair, he put out the live uh, Levitation sessions with Fuzz. He okay, put out right, the right. live Ty Siegel sessions. He put out a uh, She is a Beam uh, collaboration. I can't remember who that was a collaboration with, but it was only just the single. And he put out an album called Harmonizer. <laughs> so he's still doing 100 ty- you know, things a year, but this is the one that I'm going to focus on. Um, so Ty... Ty Siegel, a man of many talents, plays drums, plays guitar, sings, plays pretty much everything. Uh, He's a garage rocker. Uh, Most of his stuff sounds like it's recorded in a garage, but in a really good garage with really great vintage analog equipment. Um, His last album, First Taste, uh, was an album of rock that didn't have any guitars on it. Everything was done with with keyboards and synths and things like that. He has now kind of rebuilt a studio in his house, uh, and he and his wife just kind of bared down, and he wrote an album in his house called Harmonizer, and his wife is on it in a lot of different capacities as as a singer. But it's it's Ty Siegel. Uh, It's not going to surprise you. But if you like Ty Siegel and you like the kind of kind of stomping, fun rock that he does, uh, this is going to fit that bill really nicely. And I love Ty Siegel, so he puts something out. It's going to be really hard to turn me off to it. Um, and this one certainly did not. <laughs> so this was actually the album that finally got me to jump into Ty Siegel. <laughs> really? You having so it on your list. I was that. like, you, you had him on your list. Uh, you had him and you had fuzz in previous years and I yep. just like, I, I, I made mental notes and then I immediately forgot those mental notes. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I, I think, I think because kind of the same way that I am with, with King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, 
I, which I've never said out loud before and now sounds really funny to me. Um, when when these guys have so such a breadth of music in their discographies, I just get intimidated. And I where just do you like, start? Right, right. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to. <laughs> but you having this on your list, and I was like, I, I really wanted to be able to talk about as many of these albums as I could, and I jumped into it, and and it's fun. It's fun. It I I don't know if it's the kind of thing that I would be as immersed in as as you can be, but you know, like I I enjoyed it while we were listening to it. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely get the the fuzzed out, scuzzed out, just just. It, I, I I hate to call it I hate to call it a, the 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 wall of sound because I hate to make reference to um, Phil Spector, but it does feel kind of like a wall of fuzz at times, and I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> It's fuzzy, it's gnarly, it's fun, it's not out there to make a deeper statement. Um, I am drawn to it because it really does cater to what I love about kind of the DIY aesthetic of music, which is just just sit and play loud and just shout and have a good time type of thing. Um, but that's really all it is. And I'm perfectly fine with it being that. Like, it, it is pr- probably for everything here, with the exception of one, which I love a lot more. Um, it's the simplest kind of unabashed, just, I'm just having fun, going to make an album type of thing. Um, I can't say that about almost anything else here. Everything else here is saying something or making a point or telling a story. Uh, Ty Siegel just wants to have fun. Ty, this is Ty Siegel. Hey, I made a new studio. Want to hear what it sounds like? It sounds like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I really like I I enjoyed it. I, I really did, and um, maybe I will try and overcome some of that intimidation. I am gonna <laughs> I I will make a recommendation after this episode for like, hey, if you want to do a starting point to hear kind of the multifaceted you know version of Ty Siegel, start here instead and see if that grabs you. And if that doesn't, then nothing will grab you, and don't worry about it. Okay. But give right. them one more chance, one more album chance. Okay. <laughs> no, hey, I I. I I can't even. Yeah, I can't even say. I can't even say. Like I said, it's not. It's not a dislike. It's just a. You know, this is good for what it is. Kind of, kind of like yeah. the same. The same thing as low. Like this is really. This is good for what it is. I don't know if it's entirely my bag, but you know. Um, but hey, I will. I will give it another go. Give me. Give me your recommendation, and I will. Uh, I will take it and roll with it. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, what do you got next? Uh, next up for me is a uh, an album that I've gotten a ton of mileage out of. Another album that came out very early this year and uh, has not really left rotation. Uh, a Mercury Prize winning album, which I did not realize until just now. I was looking up some additional context points and things to say about it. Um, Arlo Parks, Collapsed in Sunbeams. I think you know it. Uh, debut album from I didn't realize this Arlo Parks is 21 years old god damn it which is unbelievable because she has such a voice and I'm not talking just about a singing voice but such a yeah um, a, just a, a voice as a performer as a, an R&B as an indie pop kind of performer a soulful performer um, 
collapsed in sunbeams is the album and it sounds like an album that it, it sounds like an album made by someone with with uh, a ton more a depth of of experience and life happenings and everything like that it, it the the it, it, it sounds like a uh, like like it's a very wise sounding album <laughs> i guess is what i what i'm trying to say i don't mean to like undermine her and her her um youthfulness but it it's it's very deep and it tells such broad engaging stories through the music and i i i just i cannot i cannot get enough of it, it it's it's a very um soulful kind of classically soulful sounding album um and came across it on bandcamp and through you know a pitchfork review back at the early part of the year kind of bought it on a whim and um just have not been able to stop listening to it i really really enjoy it so so full disclosure um i saw your list didn't know this album or this artist at all listened to it uh had to sit down for a couple minutes (laughs) listen to it again um had i known of arlo parks arlo parks would be on my end of year list (laughs) and would be near the top uh Everything you said, I couldn't agree with more when I, especially when you kind of talked about voice and not voice as in her singing voice, although that is gorgeous. Which is very good. <laughs> Which is very good. This is the, the chills I got listening to this Arlo Parks album are the same chills I got the first time I heard Erica Badu. Are the same, is the same chills I got hearing Lauren Hill. The same chills hearing Jill Scott. Hearing those kind of 90s neo-soul masters uh, create their identities from scratch with their debut albums. That's what I got with Arlo Parks. This is unbelievable. Uh, And also unbelievable that I did not know about it. Uh, I'm so frustrated. Uh, As a person who will always skim Pitchfork as much as I vehemently disagree with so much of their crap. uh, Man... This album is unbelievable. I cannot get enough out of it. Um, this is the one when I pinged you this morning and we were talking back and forth. I'm like, you have one album on your list that, God damn, if I had known about this, it would be very high on my end of year list. And that's coming to it, I mean, literally just a couple days fresh. This is still so new to me. I cannot wait more than any other album that we talk about today. I cannot wait to dive back into this and just play it for my wife, play it for everyone I can play it for and 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 just dive into every nuance of every note. It's 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 sublime. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's really, it's a great album for, you know, kind of like a long drive today. It's a great album to kind of put on in the background while you're, while you're sitting and reading, while you're cooking. It's an album that has a place in just about any context for me at least. And I, I just, I really, really enjoy it. So I'm glad, I'm glad you did too. I'm glad it was such a hit. Totally. Oh, so good. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm very eager to, uh, to see where she goes, uh, and what she, what she does from here. Cause, um, again, she's 21. Like that's 21. I mean, bonkers. there's so much ahead of her yeah. and it's so fully formed too. I think that's what I was, that's what I was getting at. I, I wasn't trying to, wasn't trying to like call her inexperienced or, you know, like undermine her age, but it's so fully formed, you know, so many artists at that age are, um, feeling things out still 
and she has this identity and this sound and it's just it's 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 all there it's all there and she can do whatever she wants with it from here and i'm i'm just thoroughly impressed so it's 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 intentional it's thoughtful and more than anything else it seems crafted by an identity this is not an album made by committee right this feels like a singular voice a singular purpose a singular intent and it's it might be dare i say probably it might be i'm so excited by it right now because again i'm in the throes of what we talked about before i just discovered this literally like a day or so ago so i'm in the throes this might be the most exciting album that at least for me we're going to talk about on this episode (laughs) that's how much i enjoy it because i'm still caught in its in its new web so good yeah big fan big fan all right, well, let's go then for my next pick. Let's go from kind of the the neo-soul R&B um, romance to just a, I use the word uh, purposely, a cavalcade of, of noise and glitches. And in a weird way, also kind of progressive and proggy. I'm talking about Black Midi and their second album, Cavalcade. was a pitchfork band for me i had no idea who these guys were and one day i had seen the first album kind of crop up with one of the i think it was best new music and i read it and i was like "Eh, this sounds like something i'll want to check out they kept raving about and i'm just at that stage right now i don't remember anybody's names but they kept raving about the drummer they're like this drummer it's like no drummer you've ever heard before and i put it on and i was like oh crap this drummer is like no drummer i've ever heard before kind of filed it away listened to the first album a couple times and was like yeah this is really cool i have to remember to dig deeper and i really didn't cavalcade came out i'm starting to hear a lot of the same things they've got a little bit more expansive they got a little bit more proggy now my ears have perked up and i'm ready to check it out um and man it is it's a beast of an album it is it is frantic it is intense it is weird it's a little kooky it's a little funny uh and (laughs) buried in all of that uh there is a huge barrier to entry here where and again i can't remember the names but the kid who sings and plays guitar man you got to get past those vocals those are some interesting unique vocals that this kid has uh but when you do get past that Jesus Christ, this is a beast of a technical record. Um, over on the Nine Circle side, for the last couple of months, everybody has been in a tizzy with tech death and technical death metal with like stuff like First Fragment, which was our album of the month last month. Uh, Arch Spire. You and I have had plenty of fun conversations about the insanity of Arch Spire. Yep. Uh, for my money, <laughs> in their own way and in their own genre, Black Midi is just as technical as Arch Spire or just as technical as First Fragment. Um, it's just not metal. I, I, it's just, it's kind of in a way for me, a little bit like Frank Zappa in that it kind of defies genre and just becomes this this kind of blizzard of sound and noises and arrangements and juxtapositions that shouldn't work, but do kind of work. It's all built on this rickety skeleton that can fall apart at any minute, uh, but I'm here for watching it 
seeing if it's going to fall and marveling that it never does. It's it's a lot like low for me and that I'm still digging into it, but I enjoy it a lot. I get so much enjoyment every time I put it on. Yeah. I, I took a listen to this as well and I I had heard the name before, but not dug into the music and it's not something that I think I can formulate an opinion on after just a cursory (laughs) listen. Like I need to go back and give it more time. I need to really, process what i'm hearing more because there's a lot going on there's a whole lot going on and uh, it's sonically intense (laughs) yeah but it's at the same time you know i i not that it's the same kind of music but i think similarly a band that was hyped up earlier this year for having a lot going on in their music it's not it's not entirely the same kind of thing but you i'm sure we're familiar with the the discourse around the armed and their yes. their latest album, Ultra Pop, like that was the kind of the same thing. Like I, I I jumped into it, and there was so much going on. I didn't know what any of it was, but I also kind of didn't like it. This, <laughs> there's a lot going on. I don't fully understand it yet, but I like what I'm hearing enough to want to stick with it and oh, to, to give it give it another <laughs> couple rounds. Because I'm just like, I want to understand this. I want to. That's the key. I didn't really want to understand the armed, but I do want to understand this and I do want to, you know, uncover the different layers of this more and more. So um, if you get a chance, watch it look for some of their videos to see them kind of performing. It's first of all, it's a trio. Uh, really? I think there's four now. Um, okay. But uh, and I'm I'm just looking up now. Uh, Morgan Simpson is the drummer, okay. and just holy crap! Watch this kid drum. It's unbelievable. Okay. Uh, and Jordy Greep is the uh, guitar player and the vocalist guy. Um, okay. If, if I recall correctly, now that I'm I'm, I'm reading through Wikipedia, uh, they're a marvel to watch live as well. Uh, but I'm so glad that you find that I had the exact same response to the Armed. I tried it. I heard the first song. I was like, I, I, okay, I get it. I can maybe. I went to the second song. I went, oh, no, maybe I can't. And uh, that was it. <laughs> I was you like, know? I was like, nope, we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. I don't have yeah. time time for this. Uh, y- yeah, it's a precarious uh, slope to be able to kind of be that brash and that in your face with so many different elements and make it work. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe the armed is doing something that is purposely a little bit more confrontational like i dare you to fucking like this you know whereas to me black midi just seems like a bunch of hyper kids from from england who are just like i I gotta just get this out and this is the music that comes out because they are so jittery and just so boiled up with this stuff that needs to be released Uh, and i think and i think the case of many teenage boys but i was thinking of it more in terms of music well, and I think the armed have a they they come from a a hardcore background, so that that kind of I dare yeah. you to you well, know and, that, and that right the armed if I'm not mistaken like they're supposedly like no one knows who they actually are and there's a whole or like mysterious aura about them as well that oh I, I don't I I don't know anything I don't know anything about that I know <laughs> I I heard about the album people were talking about it I gave it a listen and I was like click. No. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I had not dug into the, uh, the lore, I suppose, <laughs> but <laughs> the lore of the art. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't for me, but this, I think very well might be, I want to give it more time because cool. I, I, I really, I enjoyed what I heard, um, uh, you know, enough to, enough to want to want to understand it more. So 
That's a it's a that's a good shout. I really like that album. So oh, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up for me, kind of not not the exact same vein as another remaining album on your list, but uh, coming into a a similar sphere, we'll say. Um, I want to talk about the Dirty Nil. Yes, uh, you do. Canadian <laughs> Canadian pop punk trio. Uh, they put out their album. I think it was. I want to say it might have been like the first of the year. Quite honestly, uh, their album "Fuck Art." Question number one. Which I love the title. I love the fact that there's a golden retriever on the cover, even though the golden retriever doesn't have eyes. Um, I, uh, my friend Dan turned me on to this, and uh, I, he had been talking about him for years. I never really jumped in, and then I jumped in with this one. And um, God damn, it's a fun record. Um, there isn't really a single bad track on here. Uh, very catchy, very sing-alongable. Um, you've got stuff like Blunt Force Concussion, which has maybe the catchiest chorus I've heard this year. Um, there's stuff that's kind of more aggressive, like the opening track Doom Boy has a yeah. vaguely thrashy uh, opening riff that then, you know, that then turns into more of a punk thing. But um, I think these, these guys definitely have, um, despite being a pop punk band, they have an edgier uh, background. Uh my my friend Dan, who told me about him, just saw him live in Brooklyn, and apparently they closed their set with a cover of "Hit the Lights" by Metallica, oh, <laughs> which, man. yeah, which like I, that. yeah, I, I, you know, like there's there is it, it's it's a kind of a compact style that they go for here, but I think there is underlying musicianship and and um you know composition ability here that that really just all channels into this this really fun record and yeah. um i i just i like i said from from january one no i'm sorry january 8th it says according to wikipedia um january 8th through the end of this year i just i, I have not really ever stopped listening to this thing so uh, i'm a big fan <laughs> this so, this was one of the ones when i was talking about when i was talking about um Roughly twenty percent of my Spotify top one hundred being uh, represented from two albums. This is one of the albums. This I is think one of them. I, I think ten songs of the eleven on this album were in my top one hundred of the year. So wow. <laughs> tells you tells you how much mileage I got out of this thing. So, so here's an interesting thing, and so we'll make this work by I know what album you're referring to on my list. I will talk yes. about that album next. Perfect. Perfect. Um, uh, I do not like pop punk. I'm not okay. a pop punk fan. Okay, uh, I when pop punk really, at least to my ears, started getting going. Like for me, it was I was I was in college when Green Day came out and when The Offspring came out, and that to me was kind of a li- that to me is I, I'm going to assume that's maybe the the 
progenitors of what kind of pop punk evolved into. And I eventually grew out of that because I was 1920 when that was coming out. I bought those records and I just kind of faded away from it. Uh, I've heard other bands like uh, Pup is another big one that a lot of mm-hmm. my friends uh, recommended to me. Yeah. I don't like it. I came in. I knew what this was. I mean, I, I had never heard it. I was like, this looks like a pop punk thing. I didn't want to like it, Dan. God damn, Dan. God damn. It's good, isn't it? And I think it is good. And the thing that shocked me about it was, um, right to your point, when you mentioned Doom Boy, it's a lot heavier than I thought it was going to be. It eventually then just kind of becomes what I think of as more traditionally pop punk. But it's got enough of that kind of thrashy, harder rock edge to it that, again, it was one of those things like, God, I do not want to like this, but God damn, I got to admit, that's a catchy-ass song. Right. Blunt Force Concussion. I was, oh, God damn it. Don't want to like this. If you're if you're talking about the like hard it. rock edge, you could go like Ride or Die, too. Like, that yeah. is a little harder than you would expect from this kind of pop-punk aesthetic, but still works. Yeah. Still it, really works. It really does. And it really kind of makes me now want to be like – so it's like anything else, right? To to, to go to our uh, our normal kind of internet day job on Nine Circles, right? Uh, black metal. Black metal has been black metal forever and then eventually things start to push and then you have this and you have that. And But there are those people that just always thought of it as the one thing. It's always that second wave kind of lo-fi shit production thing. That's what black metal is. Uh, I had always had a similar thing to this is what pop punk is. Pop punk is just those power chords played really fast with really harmonized anthemic choruses that stick in your ear like earworms but are pretty much disposable because everyone does it the same way. Mm-hmm. And this is the album at least that i've heard so far that made me go oh people are starting to do slightly different things and making it a little bit more than maybe i had expected it to be so uh, i am super glad that i heard fuck art i am super glad that i heard the dirty nil and it actually although i have not done it yet and maybe that'll be our trade-off i'll i'll give you the the ty siegel starting kit and you you tell me where i should go if i want to start kind of exploring the 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 non-conforming regions of pop punk uh this at least got me to realize oh shit there's more here than i bargained for i need to start getting into it a little bit more yeah well i'm i'm glad you i'm glad you enjoyed it I, I, like I said, I couldn't get enough of it. So I didn't realize the dog um, had no eyes. Now I'm looking at it now. I can't tell if it has, it looks like it might have no eyes, but it also Is looks it, like the eyes might just be closed. Could be. I can't tell. Could also be, I know right now as we re- record this, we are in the midst of, uh, I think it's almost over now, uh, the Disney Plus show for Hawkeye, the Marvel Universe, which has a one-eyed <laughs> dog that's a golden retriever. It looks a lot like this dog, and that dog I does only have one eye. I'm wondering if it's the same dog. I mean, it could be. I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't jumped in yet. Is Hawkeye any good? Uh, that's a whole other other podcast. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty good. I like okay. it. I don't know. All right, it's yeah. a that's what we do for family night on Friday nights. We uh, everyone gets home by six o'clock, so we have pizza and we watch a movie or a TV show. And lately, it's been it's it's been Hawkeye, and the the family uh, the family enjoys it. So cool. All right, very good. Well, let's let's. Uh, Let's jump into your like-minded album because sure, I really enjoyed the the fuck out of this thing. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know it's not pop punk, but it right. is definitely punk. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about the second album from. I've heard this pronounced a hundred different ways. I think it is Emil and the Sniffers, and the album is Comfort to Me.
this is this is punk in to me like this is when i look for a punk album this is what i want i want a punk album that is descended from uh bands like the damned uh, or the Buzzcocks, or, or or things like that, where it's it's kind of gnarly and kind of snarly, but it is it, it's still fun and it's anthemic and it's just it's fast and in your face and slightly confrontational. But it's that confrontation where there's a sneer and a wink behind it, uh, even as there's a switchblade in the one hand. Uh, I, I don't even have it up to kind of talk through some of the um, songs and, and stuff like that, but. Um, it's like all the best punk albums. Um, I'll tell you exactly. Uh, it is 35 minutes long. It is, there is no song over, uh, there's one song that's three minutes and 47 seconds. It's actually a little bit long. Uh, but when you have songs like don't need a cunt, <laughs> like you love me, uh, freaks to the front. Uh, another great one guided by angels is the opening track. Don't fence me in maggot. Uh, yeah. This is this is this is what it is. Uh, it also speaks to just how great uh, I've talked about this on other episodes before. Man, the Australian music scene is fucking phenomenal when you talk about just kind of crazy underground rock and, and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, Amy Taylor is the front woman or front person. I, I should say I, I, I hate to use front woman like that, but I wanted to just really emphasize her femininity and her perspective through this because she is a monster of a presence uh if you ever get a chance check out some of their their live content as well um you can talk about the music and the riffs and the sound and the production all you want this does not exist without amy taylor being who amy taylor is she is the amal of the sniffers uh and and she's just she's just phenomenal she is such a great presence i want like I want an album a year, um, and I want them to just go forever. That that's what I think of when I think of Amel and the Sniffers. Yeah, or Amel yeah. and the Sniffers. Right. <laughs> yeah, this was. God damn, this was fun. I, I, I think, and I think the in a weird way, I think the the Australianness of it adds to. It. I mean, you talk about like a like a raw, just kind of dirty punk sound, and then you have this like kind of sneering Australian accent on top of it. Yeah. Like, oh man, I I just I appreciated the the whole aesthetic. I think it just everything it wants to do, it does like to a T perfectly. Um <laughs> I had not even heard of them before this showed up on your list, but I'm I'm absolutely a fan now. Um tremendous pick. Tremendous pick. So <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think um, next up for me is going to be uh, Opus Science Collective, or which I will refer to as OSC because it's not actually a collective. It's one dude. But um, they are – he is a, uh, a synth act, uh, kind of synth funk kind of thing. He's done a lot of different stuff over the years. Um, been around a while. Did uh, two a, a companion series of EPs that uh, are two of my – favorites to this day uh there was one called girls on bikes and then its counterpart was called boys on boards and um he uh had an album ideality that was on my my synth list a a few years back that was really good this album uh came out midway through the year called yume nomachi
it is a tribute to kind of Japanese city pop from the 1980s. And goddamn, it's just so much fun. It's one of those, I mean, there are some synthwave albums that at least kind of sound, um, you know, like they're, they're going for a retro feel, but with a contemporary palette and with, you know, modern instrumentation, this feels intentionally dated and i love it for that um it's just it's so catchy and so just cheesily like 80s city pop vibes i i just i really i i i I just fell in love with it i couldn't get enough of it and um i i they're they're you know the the i think the first song is uh I want to say it's called Tochaku. Yeah. Um, that just if you if you listen to Tochaku, you know what the album is going to be about, and you can decide from there. If it's your thing, great. If not, you know, whatever. But Tochaku just absolutely <laughs> pulled me in. Um, there's one called Fudukoto that uh, they're they're all you know city pop is a primarily Japanese thing, and so all the all the songs have Japanese names um i don't know what any of this stuff means there's one called shopping gomoru which i think probably translates to shopping mall maybe <laughs> but um it's all this it, this, this aesthetic that it, it's like vaguely backgroundy but it's at the same time it's so it's so um endearingly cheesy and and earnestly cheesy that i just i have i have fallen in love with it and um yeah, uh, Yume, Yume no Machi. Interestingly enough, he actually put out a Vaporwave edition of the album as well. Um, not super into Vaporwave, didn't listen to it, but uh, the uh, the original version is what I'm talking about here, and I, I just yeah. I cannot get enough of it. So, yeah, that's my I, I am shocked it took that long to get a Synthwave album on your list. Um, you had turned me on to this, um, and I listened to it. It is, I will say, it is very much... Exactly as you described it, <laughs> uh, and you're gonna like that, or you're gonna you're gonna take it, or you're gonna leave it. I I can kind of take it or leave it. Like I can see kind of what it's trying to do and appreciate it. I I, I won't lie and say that I I connect very deeply to it. But the takeaway I had from listening to it was definitely that. Like with everything that I, th- I think is on both of our lists, it is extremely successful in its intent. Like, this mm-hmm. is what I am trying to do. This is the mood and tone and style that I am trying to evoke. Uh, and it does that beautifully. Uh, so if that is your thing, uh, it is uh, it is an excellent representative of, of, of that. And you should check it out for no other reason. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is quite an interesting listen, though. I'll say yeah. that for me. Well, it was one of those things like I, I, I also I kind of had a moment with it because I, I it had been out for a couple months by the time this happened. But I had only gotten into it. Um, I think it came out in April and July. We flew out for uh, my friend Mike's bachelor party. We, we had a house in L.A. that uh, one of his friends just like it's his family's vacation home. And we flew out there and it was like a guy's weekend at this house that none of us had to pay for. It was really cool. And the one friend of Mike's works at Spotify and, you know, he's he's like 
he's an engineer at Spotify and he, he, by his own admission, he's like, well, we're all trying to compete with each other for the most niche musical tastes. And so he, (laughs) his like niche musical taste of the moment was city pop. And he had an entire city pop playlist that we just played the first night we got there. And I was like, oh, I just heard this album that's going for the same thing. And I like... Not only was the album great, but I was like, oh, I can have a conversation with this person and like I can introduce him to I can introduce this nerd who knows everything to something that, you know, that I know of in that realm. And I was just like, I was like, oh, this is this is cool. So, you know, like it's a good album, but it also made me feel better about myself. So. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, OSC. (laughs) Thank you, you, OSC, for that. If if, if music can do that to anybody, then it's a win. It it doesn't matter what the impact is for anybody else. If it made that for you it's a it's special in its own right yeah yeah <laughs> and i will say i will say osc if you're looking for i mean i know we we, we are both into uh mr bart graft and his just insane yeah. uh prolificness uh in terms of is production. this the first year we don't have a bart graft album on one of our lists uh it might be but uh there there so. is a bart graft album but i didn't get to listen to it yet i think I it's think relatively relatively recent but um but OSC has a lot of really cool stuff. He has like ambient stuff. He has albums that are um, exploring different seasons. He has album ambient albums that are inspired by Adventure Time. Um, just like all this. <laughs> he has a lot of albums I saw inspired by Adventure Time. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> the dude, the dude is just an, an incredibly impressive. Uh, composer producer uh arranger he has like these hour-long he did did a video on youtube that i was mesmerized by the other day where he was just um coming up with a song on the spot like while filming himself and just walking through his compositional process as he was filming it was insane so real real big fan of him in general but in particular this album so awesome definitely worth definitely worth looking deeper into so all right what you got from here well, let's uh, let's do something similar because uh, I'm going to talk about um, a band and album that had a big personal impact for me, and I know you were much more lukewarm on. So we'll we'll trade, and then we'll end up on one that I think we both really like a lot. So my next one is the latest from Dinosaur Junior. Sweep it into space. Never sure when I'm awake. There's a difference. Make it three. If I could section out of reach little things I'd like to keep rattles in your head aside I'd expect another time I ran away I gave it up today who could I blame can't be true I Dinosaur Jr. for me is one of those bands that I got into much later in life. I was not a fan uh, of the early stuff when it came out. And I'm probably, again, this might be sacrilegious to big Dinosaur Jr. fans. Uh, I'm actually more of a fan of their stuff post their reunion than I am of the earlier stuff. I almost exclusively look and listen to the last like three or four albums since they kind of came back and... I don't know if it was 2007 or something like that after their hiatus. Yeah, um, yeah. 2016, give a glimpse of what you're not. Um, it, it it was the album, the first album that I actually bought myself and f- fell for just hook, line, and sinker. I think Jay Maskus has got a guitar sound like no other. Um, 
as a guitar player myself, it is something I've been trying to emulate uh, forever, even though I don't play that style of music. And yes, I know he has his own signature guitar that is really cheap and just haven't bought it. Uh, I'm trying to do it with the stuff I own. Uh, but uh, he, no one writes a solo like him. It, no one plays like him. Uh, his voice is so distinctive. I've started now. My wife has started to fall into the vinyl pit that I have as well. And we've been playing Sweep It Into Space a lot. And she didn't know who it was. And when she was listening, she goes, is this Pearl Jam? I said, no, you insane woman. This is not Pearl Jam. I want a divorce immediately. Uh, and I was like, what made you think it's Pearl Jam? She goes, there's a there's something about his voice and something about how he sings that reminds me of Pearl Jam. And we sat down and started listening to it. And I started to see that a little bit. There is just a, 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 a plaintive emotiveness to his voice. It's Even though it's kind of high and whiny and a little bit pitched, um, that is really enjoyable. Sweeping into space is uh, his um, is there is the band's collaboration with Kurt Vile. Kurt Vile produces it. Kurt Vile also uh, plays a bunch of instruments on it, and uh, he he does some background singing. Um, and it's more poppy, I think, than anything else they've done. Um, which is strange for me to like it then as much as I do because I love their more expansive kind of weird psychedelic garage rock tone uh but i ran away which has got some pretty acoustic guitar and a real pretty wispy chorus it's just i ran away it's just so it's very simple uh but i find it affecting and dinosaur jr one of those bands that um through large periods of anxiety over the last two years, they've been one of the biggest bands I've turned to to kind of reset um, the compass a little bit and get back on an even keel. And from a personal perspective, this will factor into my honorable mentions as well. The fact that my wife and I now share this connection to this band makes it even more special for me. So I totally get when we were talking like this is this is by no shakes probably to anyone else like their favorite Dinosaur Jr. album. It might not be a great Dinosaur Jr. album. It is very different, I think, because of the vile influence. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to your point with OSC, uh, there is a personal connection to this particular album that uh, would not matter to anybody else, but just rises it in, uh, in, in 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 my ranking for me. Hey, that's that's important. That's you know that that. My my favorite. I, I can tell you how many bands I have where my favorite album is what no one would consider their best album. Right. We just talked about it the other week with Radiohead, and my favorite Radiohead album being The Bends. But you know, um, but if it means something to you and it has that connection for you, then who cares? That's yeah. that's what counts. So who cares? <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I I I, I was. I got a good amount of mileage out of um, give a glimpse of what you're not back in the day. Um, this one, I don't know. I just didn't, it didn't hit me quite the same way, but, um, but again, I'm, I'm not as big a Dino junior fan in general. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it hit for you. I'm glad you, you guys both enjoyed it. So thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my last one, I know we've talked about this a number of times. I know we've evangel. I know I've evangelized about this band a number of times. Uh, cannot if if I had to pick a favorite, this would be my favorite album of the year. Um, <laughs> little UK group called Easy Life, who I first encountered last year. They had a song on the HBO Max limited series "I May Destroy You," which amazing show. 
go watch it if you haven't. Um, Michaela Cole is just an incredible creative voice, and she should be granted any project she ever wants to do. That's beside the point. Easy Life, the end of the one episode, had their song called Nightmares in. And I became hooked on it. It's just this this sparse, kind of subtle, poppy kind of R&B thing. Uh, really, really endearing chorus, really, really resonant chorus um, that stuck with me. And I, this, I want to say this is the end of 2020 that that first became aware of them. All of a sudden, I, you know, I added them to my my heavy rotation playlist on Spotify. I added that song in particular. All of a sudden, the album art associated with the song changed, and I realized, like, oh, I had the single, and it is now being associated with an entire album. That album was called Life's a Beach. I dove in and I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I jumped beyond this song because I don't <laughs> think I've listened to any album more this year. It's a an alternative kind of indie R&B thing that it's it's spoken kind of wrapped in the same style of something like The Streets. But musically, it's all over the place. There's some stuff that reminds me of, you know, there's some stuff that reminds me of the streets musically. There's some stuff that reminds me more of, like, the song Skeletons, I I, I swear it makes me think of Jamiroquai in ways I don't fully understand why. But I hear Skeletons and I think, oh, that sounds like Jamiroquai. Um, there's stuff that uh, comes kind of from a lot of lyrically a lot is um kind of sounds like just inner struggle um talking about suicidal thoughts who gives a fuck about my nightmares just just um you know just the the kind of everyday trials that you know young men go through and young people go through in this day and age um i just cannot I, I I don't really understand why it resonated with me as much as it did, but it did. Uh, this is not normally like my go-to type of music. Um, it, it is a go-to type of music, but it's not like the, it's, right. it, it, it's not my, not typically like my top choice. And, um, and yet, and yet I just have not been able to turn away from it. I just, absolutely adore it for me it's a perfect album and um yeah so that that is that is my my number one life's a beach by easy life i I just i cannot stress enough how much i enjoy this thing so so it's interesting uh very similar uh response i had to this that we talked about with some of the other albums on this list um this is not my go-to music at all Uh, It really isn't. But there is something. So first, I take it seriously because you recommended it to me. So I I have a recommendation there. Um, And I was immediately drawn by I'd done a little bit of reading about them as well to kind of understand it. It's really interesting how 
light the music is compared to how the subject matter in the songs are. There is a underlying darkness to what they are singing about that is not at, if you're not paying attention, I don't think you would know that from how, I don't use this as a derogatory term, how featherweight some of the music can tend to be. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, and I'm really drawn to it, uh, enough so that I it's again it's not anything that I would ever have thought of for myself, but I can't stop kind of digging into it and uh, p- picking pieces apart skeletons. Uh, I'm going through the the track listing now of the stuff that I, I really am drawn to. Um, just a, a message to myself, just that that opening because when you first sent it to me, I was like, "What is this?" And I heard that, and I was like. This is not what I was expecting to come from you right. um, as a recommendation. It's got a lot going for it. There are synths, there are keyboards, there are there are horns at 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 at, at times. And again, it, it's almost it's no, no surprise that it's an English band as as well. Another weird comparison that I had in my head was to bands like. Um, a completely different sound, but like Stone Roses and things and and things like that from like kind of like the mid '90s scene where you had a bunch of disaffected youths who had to come to music to kind of let out some things that they wanted to talk about. And the music, as far as what has what is popular, has certainly changed, but the disaffected lives of youth has not. So they're going to take the tools that are popular and available to them now to express themselves. And I totally get that with uh with Easy Life. And I find it endlessly fascinating, especially since I'm I've got to be so much older than these kids are. Uh and and despite that still having a sense of connection to some of what they're singing about. It's it's an yeah. album that I haven't really been able to click with yet, but like some of the other ones that we've talked about, whether it was like Black Midi with you or uh, Low w- w- with me, I'm endlessly fascinated by it. I have kept it in my kind of listening to current playlist to just keep digging into it and just keep kind of to find where that in is, where it's suddenly going to pop for me, because I feel like it is. It yeah. is a really strong record that I that I am fascinated by. Yeah. <laughs> I just some of these lyrics I'm looking at them now as we're talking like one of my favorites on the album is Lifeboat um which actually segs into Nightmares and I I think that probably has a part of it <laughs> of yeah. why I like that song so much <laughs> but um the the chorus the day you found me in a lifeboat I fell to pieces on the drive home I felt defeated but you look at me look at me like that made me feel more than just a side note like that's that's powerful man it like is. Holy shit. And you know, like, it just, it, I mean, talk about freaking word choice. When you end, like, making me feel like a side note, that's, 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 that's a hard lyric right there. Right. Right. Yeah, it really oh is. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I, I, similarly to some of the other ones where, you know, the album that I ended up putting on the list might have, you know, prompted me to go back and dig deeper. Um, I went into, Easy Life's entire discography, and um, it's all on Spotify. And incidentally, they have a collab track with Arlo Parks that I oh. highly, highly recommend. I believe it's called Sangria. Uh, do, 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 do. I will yeah. get there. Yes, highly, highly recommend. So yeah, I, I'm um, so glad that this was 
that you love this and were able to to kind of you know share that album with me because I this is one like I probably would have found Arlo Parks eventually because I just I love that style of music and it would have come to my attention. I don't know that this album ever would have come to my attention otherwise. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of and and it was so it it could have been so just incidental like just like just in passing like if I had been paying less attention if i'd been on my phone when that exact scene right nightmares was in i may destroy you uh came up i might have missed it altogether and i'm so glad i didn't because god damn i love that i love that song i love this album i i'm yeah i i'm i'm a <laughs> i'm an easy life stand now so that's awesome <laughs> yeah so um your last album though i really want to jump into because i <laughs> You showed me this and I'm just blown away by it. Tell yeah. tell the people tell the people more, Chris. So, let's talk about that. So, I had a- already said if i had obsessively ranked the albums uh, the riley walker would be number 1 this one is number 2 and it it's the one that straddled the line of is this a metal release is this a rock release it doesn't matter because it's king buffalo the album is the burden of restlessness to define sonically kind of where my favorite music is currently like as far as like well chris if you had to like just kind of say the music that you listen to the most over the last you know two years what does that music sound like it sounds exactly like the burden of restlessness uh king buffalo is a band that fascinated me first because of their album art. I mean, if you ever get a chance, go through and look at the album art for King Buffalo. Uh, Particularly, this album uh, is gorgeous. Their previous album, Longing to Be the Mountain, is just, from a design perspective, is just simply sublime. They are... I mean, I guess they're stoner rock, but they're stoner rock with a mix of psychedelia um, and 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 just hard rock in the vein of. I mean, they're in the vein of bands that I've always loved, like All Them Witches, uh, Clutch, uh, Howling Giants. One of my favorite bands right now. Um, they share a very similar kind of pulse to them. It's it's it's. It's 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 I've, I, if, if I'm having trouble, it's because it's really indescribable. It's hard rock. It's melodic. Um, it's pulsing. It kind of has a, a a very heavy groove. This is not kind of syncopated thrash. It's certainly not metal in any way, shape, or form. But it is undeniably heavy, and it undeniably moves. Uh, and I could not tell you jack shit what they're singing about. I could tell you the names of the songs: Locust, Silverfish, Grifter, The Knox, Loam, Burning, and. Habitation. 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 I don't I fucking know what any love of those habitation. Yeah. I it, oh, it's so good. I can't tell you what they're singing about. I'm not paying attention. I, I put the album on. I immediately just fall into like this lull of just rock and I don't come up until the album's over. And sometimes I don't come up at all because I forget that the album's on repeat. It starts again and I'm happy to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, a couple things I want to talk about with this. Cause I, you mentioned the design right off the bat. Uh, it, says something about the quality of this album overall that I can look at that cover 
which looks like, honestly, looks like one of the engineers from Prometheus, a movie that I profoundly dislike. <laughs> and yet, and yet, I don't want to immediately run away from the album. <laughs> um, number two, I think it feels weird to say, to describe it this way. Because, as you mentioned, the album is heavy, and it would be a good shout for a a end of year metal list. It has a kind of it. It's almost a quiet command. It's not the type of I, I, I think of, I think of leadership positions within you know a company or a a group, and there are some people that will try to lead by being the loudest, the most boisterous, blah blah blah, my way or the highway. And then there are people who will just comfortably do their thing, lead by example, and pull you in that much deeper. And I feel like despite the fact that they're heavy and despite the fact that they're very dynamic, there is something about King Buffalo that has that kind of quiet command. They are not the heaviest band you'll ever hear. They're not the proggiest band you'll ever hear. They're not the they're not the stoneriest band you'll ever hear, but they do everything they do well and they mesh styles well. And I just I, for me that's what that's what drew me in is just the fact that they are so comfortable with what they're doing and how they're doing it. And it just demands that you get on board without actually demanding that you get you know like they like yeah. you 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 jump on board of your own accord by how how much you want to stick with them does that make sense am i am it i am does. I, no the quiet command thing is perfect because the 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 shifts and turns that the songs take it's very subtle yeah um and there is some syncopation I, I, actually interestingly one of the bands that I drew a comparison to um, is Tool, strangely enough. I almost kind of feel like where Tool is going now, if they were more successful, they'd sound a little bit like King Buffalo. It's They're able to kind of take that that shifting psychedelia kind of this is going to go here, but it's going to lend here and these notes are going to kind of repeat. And that's the tether that's going to lead you through the chamber. Like they're doing it way more successfully than tool is doing it on their, you know, 15, 16, 17 minute songs. Um, but they're both kind of in that, they're both trying to achieve that that same space, which is I'm going to exist in this universe, and it, it is a, a quiet command is just a perfect way to say it. Also, just like a couple of uh, quick notes, I mean, they're a trio, so right away you've hit my – we've talked about my preferred format of all time is the trio format. Yep. The fact that you can do so much with so little, uh, this sounds gigantic. It sounds gargantuan. It sounds Leviathan. It is – it and it just moves and it moves at such a pace that you don't realize it until it's over. And I love that about the album that before I know it, I'm like, oh, the album's over, son yeah. of a bitch, you know. Yeah. And just to go back, also, uh, uh, quite prolific. They also just released. You made mention of it. I apologize for not telling you. Uh, they released an album that they recorded in a cave. <laughs> Acheron, yeah, Acheron. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's on deck. <laughs> yeah. Um, I popped it on at work the other night. We had a little bit of downtime and I was able to throw it on. And yeah, it, it, it very, very different from what we have here. But yeah, um, it, it kind of by design, it needs to be. If this is an album that you're going to record in a cave for the sole purpose of recording an album in a cave and playing with that sound, it's it's going to be a little different, but it's still very good. So oh, I, can't I wait. 
yeah, I, I, I recommend both. And thank you for um, putting these guys on your list and, and getting me to listen to them, making me realize that they were not King Dude. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> They are definitely not King Dude. Nor yes. are they Lord Buffalo, which is a similar kind of band with a very similar name that I got screwed up a couple times. This is King <laughs> Buffalo. Lord Buffalo, yes. different band. <laughs> well, count, count, me, count me among the interested going forward because, man, that, that's, that's, it's good shit. I really enjoyed it. So. Very cool. Very cool. That I believe is ten up, ten down for both of us, isn't it? It is. We are yeah. we are set. Do you want to very quickly because we've been over two hours at this point, you want yes. to quick run through a couple honorable mentions? Yeah, let's do it. I uh I, I, I spelled out five on my uh on my list. Um one that appeared on on last year's end of year list, uh, Salt. Uh, yep. They put out an album called Nine, which was only available for I believe ninety nine days on uh, the streaming services. Uh, I really liked it. Did not quite get as much out of it as I did with last year's uh, two for uh, Untitled Rise and Untitled Black Is, but yep. it was still a very good listen. Um, Mogwai had a really great album earlier in the year, the uh, post-rock Titans. Uh, they put out As the Love Continues, which I really enjoyed. Um, FM Attack, uh, another synth act. You, you, you were talking about how late it, how late to the game Synthwave was on, our, on my list. Um, FM Attack just missed out. Uh, they put out, uh, he put out his, uh, his final album, The Never Ending, uh, which I don't know what he's going to be doing from here, but um, it sounds like... Uh, Going, going a different direction with his uh, production work. And uh, The Never Ending was a fantastic note to go out on. Uh, really terrific listen there. Manchester Orchestra, The Million Masks of God. I'm not, I'm not like fully into the Manchester Orchestra bandwagon yet, but I like a lot of this album quite a bit. You know, they were all, they, um, what's his name, had a uh, guest spot on the Touche Amore album last year. Um, this album, uh, The Million Mass of God, has a number of really, really cool tracks on it. Um, I don't know if I'm fully converted, but I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to being a, a full-on fan. And then um, final one on my list is a, um, believe uh believe they're from Galway, uh, an Irish kind of... Almost like they 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 they're kind of going for a like a '90s alternative kind of sound. Uh, it's a group called New Dad, and their EP Waves. Um, they had a single last year called "I Don't Recognize You," which is probably one of my favorite singles of the last like year and a half, two years. Um, that is on this EP Waves, and then there's a lot of other like really cool stuff on it. It's just very very catchy, fun. Um, disaffected in that 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 kind of 90s alternative way <laughs> it feels like feels like a, a they're they're all in their 20s but they feel like they feel like gen xers in the 90s doing their thing like it, it, it's a great it's a great listen so um new dad waves uh would be my last honorable mention so awesome how about you so um i'm only gonna do four because you and i both had a common one and you already talked about salt uh and okay. i am complete agreement with you for all the same reasons as you uh, i don't think it was a it was really good uh it took kind of a nursery rhyme approach to its stuff. It, not as good as the two albums that were released last year, but enough that I wanted to put it as an honorable mention. We talked earlier um, when we were talking about Prague about uh, Mr. Stephen Wilson and um, Porcupine Tree. Uh, he released an album this year, The Future Bites. Uh, I'm not as big of a fan as he's kind of moved into poppier and poppier fields. Um, but this album really struck with me um, 
a couple of the singles, uh, personal shopper. I, I, I think that's the one that's like nine minutes long. I, I really did in, enjoy that. Uh, I am though, however, glad that he's moving back with a, uh, a full porcupine tree album in 2022. Yes. So super excited. Yes. Next one is, um, this is going to be a bit of a weird one, but it has that same impact, like having a personal connection with my wife and that's radio company with their album volume two. So radio company is, um, the band collaboration between Steve Carlson, a musician and Jensen Ackles, who, if you watch supernatural, he is Dean Winchester on supernatural. (laughs) Uh, My wife is infatuated with him. (laughs) <laughs> he's a he he's a singer. He likes to sing, and he put together kind of a traditional country band with uh, Steve Carlson called Radio Company. The first album was okay, um, kind of what you would expect from a guy with a pretty good voice uh, leaving his day job to kind of do an album on the side. Radio Company Volume 2 is much different and much better. It is a much more focused um, kind of new country album. So, again, taking that approach of a lot of different styles and kind of blending it into a traditional country sound. Um, really can't recommend it enough if you're into that type of tone. Uh, Steve Carlson takes a lot more of the lead as far as the um, vocals and stuff. He sings about half the songs, and he's got a really good, strong voice. Uh, so definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, next, uh, Here Lies Man, Ritual Divination. Um, these guys were number four on my metal list a couple years ago. Um, they are a combination of... Um, kind of Black Sabbath sludge and Afrobeat, uh, which are two things that don't sound like they should go together, but they go together really well. So just kind of think about basic Afrobeat funk rock music, but with a heavy, sludgy Black Sabbath sound to it. Wow. Uh, Okay. They kind of had lost a step uh, with their last release, which was like a 24-minute kind of quasi-EP, but Ritual Divination really brings them back to the fore. It's a super strong album. And then finally, this is going to take just a little bit of talking, Tilson Rengold Taranti uh, with Aliam Unastoria. Uh, so this is a, I don't want to shock you, this is a prog band. Uh, but what it is is, uh, so Tilson Rengold and Taranti are all different guys from different uh, prog bands. I don't even remember where they're from. But the reason I like this was Tilson, the guy who's the main songwriter and the guitar player, um, he remembers going to Italy as a kid. In the early 70s, he was with his parents and he was totally into Prague and, uh, at, at the time. And he heard a band playing, uh, re- rehearsing in this like little small like bar type of place. So while his parents were chilling out on a campground, he wandered into the bar. The bar was basically closed, but they were doing some warm up and he got to talk to him. And he listened to their music. Uh, he doesn't remember their name, but they were in the process of getting an album out. And they introduced him to, as like a 14, 15-year-old kid, this is what it's like to be in a band. And uh, Tilson was already playing uh, he, uh keyboard player, not a guitar player. My apologies. Uh, so he joined the band and they like, you know, did some vamps and stuff like that. And he showed off his chops. And it was like one of those kind of cool, you're a kid, you hung out with the 20-year-olds and learned about music. Time goes by, uh, they had given him a cassette of what their album was going to be. He lost the cassette. The band never released it, kind of faded into obscurity. That was the end of it. Now, 30, 40 years later, Tilson's much older, and he wanted to create what he remembered that band sounded like to like a 14, 15-year-old kid in the 70s. So he wrote an album, Alium Unastoria, which is essentially his recollection 
of that album and that band. And he got a bunch of friends together and they recorded it. And it, it, they use all vintage analog instruments um, to make it as authentic to the early 70s as he could. And it is an Italian prog rock album from the 70s, just written and recorded in 2021. And it's glorious. It's 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 super harmonic and it's and it's melodic and it's it has a lot of pomp and a lot of crazy keyboards and it's just fun and it's such a I love the idea of a bunch of people going, man, remember that band? No, but they kind of sounded like da 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 no, maybe it was that. You know what? Let's just try to write what we think it sounded like. That just sounds like an amazing conceit to me. And that the execution of it came off as well as it did here uh, is really kind of cool. So just like a wacky concept that intrigued me and turned out to be a hell of a record as well. You saying that reminds me, there was an episode of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast Reply All. No. Now, so Reply All is like this, it's like this internet-centric podcast where like random, they, they, they the guys investigate random phenomena that happen on the internet and kind of like tech side of things that, everyday tech side of things that happen on the internet um, to everyday people. And there was one episode they did a while back where this woman called in and she swore she recognized this song. She She had this song in her head that had she had heard in the 90s but couldn't place it couldn't like search for the lyrics couldn't find the lyrics anywhere couldn't figure out what artist had done it and they spent this entire like the the entire hour-long episode was the two guys on the show trying to dig around talking to music critics talking to music journalists like anything like that to see if they recognize this song and where it might be from and it's it just it, it turned out it was this I, I, I as I recall I think it was like a contract song that was written and recorded but somehow never fully released like I don't know exactly how this woman heard it but it, the reason nobody could identify it was because it had never been released it was not a big radio hit and it's just it's like like fascinating. So you talking about this this Tilson uh, trying to recreate like what he <laughs> thought that album might sound like had it been like like it just kind of put me in that similar kind of headspace. That if you cool. haven't heard, I highly I highly recommend that the, the the podcast is is you know good for what it is uh, right. overall. But that episode in particular was intriguing as all hell. So cool, yeah, <laughs> very cool. Well, two and a half hours later that. Uh, Another thus concludes down. thus concludes our end of year 2021 uh music podcast any uh any goals for 2022 musically any highly anticipated albums anything you want to do to seg us into next year i mean uh in, you know in terms of anticipated albums not really i'm i'm trying to just keep i'm trying to keep as open as possible to explore different things that I'm going to be interested in. Um, I have another website where I've slowly kind of gone off and on where I just kind of talk about the music in my collection, what drove me to have it, what does it say about me that I'm consuming this by making a conscious effort to purchase it, as opposed to kind of just streaming it or listening it elsewhere. Um, And I started to go down this rabbit hole of, again, like really obscure 70s rock music and stuff as I collect it to really listen to it. So I'm just going to be on the lookout to try and be as open as possible to stuff 
stuff that I wouldn't normally know about, hear about it and listen to it. Like I can't wait in 2022. I want to be able to hear more about easy life. I want to be able to hear more about some of these things that I get a taste of. And normally I would kind of push it to the side, but try not to do that. Um, I, I think the broader we are in our tastes and our listening experience, the broader we can be in our kind of mindset. So hopefully 2022 will let us do that. I don't know yeah. of anything right now that I'm like, Oh, I think that's coming out next year. A lot of good stuff came out this year. A lot of my yeah. favorite bands released stuff this year. So I'm pretty yeah. happy. Yeah. I don't know what's left. I, yeah, the only one I can really think of, honestly, <laughs> um, the, apparently King Buffalo has another song, another album of coming out next are. year. They were supposed <laughs> to do three. I think they were supposed to do three in 2020 and then they postponed them and two oh, of wow. them dropped this year. And then the third, from what I read is supposed to be out in early 22. Pulling so a King Gizzard. Uh, intrigued as hell by that. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see what, uh, what comes our way. I, I want to try and make music again next year. I didn't do any of that this year and that bummed me out. And I don't know whether it's, whether it's going to be like synth wavy stuff or just, just, you know, whatever. I just want to put yeah. music out and uh, come up with something. So that's, yeah. that's e- my equally that's my blank goal. this year. I know I released the last album in December of 2020. So I at least gotten something out, but 2021 was an absolute bust. Uh, the desire was not there either. I'm not, going to force myself to create anything this year. I mean, I'm going to try to, I'm doing little things here and there, but again, I think it's just a matter of, we don't know what the year is going to be like. Hopefully it's going to be better. So just try to be open and try to try to be open to whatever experience comes my way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sir, it's been real. It's been real. Always love doing this with you. Um, folks at home, you know the drill. Uh, if you enjoy this stuff, maybe you enjoy the metal too. www.ninecircles.co. Uh, that's where all the uh, album reviews, interviews, albums of the month, you name it, all our regular content are. Uh, we're on the social media channels. I'm not going to go through them because I hate even saying the names of those social networks anymore. Um, <laughs> so go to the website, email us at ninecirclesblog at gmail.com. Uh, Chris, Thank you again, my friend. It's been wonderful. We will talk soon. Folks at home, folks at home, thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully we will see you on the website before too long. Take care and happy new year. Stay safe, everyone.